You're dropping the videos into the timeline. Speaking okay. of editing, look, Mike. All right. <laughs> oh, TJ. The compressor just went off. Damn it. Hold on. It's a good time for it. No, no. <laughs> Saved by the compressor. <laughs> what the f***? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and it pissed my cat off. I have a goddamn note that says turn off your compressor, and obviously I didn't read it. I'm sorry. <laughs> that is it's all good. Welcome, everyone. Come on in and join the Plastic Posse as we discuss scale modeling. This is episode 24, and the Posse is Doug Smith, TJ Holler, John Bonani, and myself, Scott Gentry. We're glad to have you listening in as we discuss the hobby and the community surrounding it. That's right, Scott. This podcast is about the hobby that we all are very passionate about and one that gives us each a tremendous amount of joy. We briefly discussed this a few episodes back, and we're going to expand on the theme with this episode as well. So, TJ, what have you been working on? Well, I just finished Tacom's FV432 in 172nd scale. It's a little tiny metal box, essentially. It's a British APC from the Cold War era. It was pretty cool. Uh, the kit was okay. It wasn't terrible, but I mean, it, it could have been better. But it was really fun to paint in weather because it was so tiny. Now I'm kind of moving towards, started working on a Leopard C2, which is the Canadian version of the Leopard 1. So I just started putting some pieces on that last night and I'm off tomorrow. So I'll be able to stay up late tonight and hopefully get all the torsion bars in and maybe even start working on the upper hull. That Techcom kit, you, you polished that up really, really nice, but that photo etch on it looked really good too. Yeah, it was probably the best part. It all fit really well. And it looked really good in scale and everything. But yeah, there's just like some sloppy stuff. And the Lincoln Lake tracks were dumb. I mean, that's why are we doing Lincoln Lake tracks in 72nd scale? I, I don't know. But I, was I don't able know to make why you work. do them in 35th scale, but that's okay. <laughs> so let's let's move on over to Doug. What what projects are on your bench? Well, to start off with, I threw a little primer on the cockpit parts for my Spitfire for the group build just to get that rolling. Um, but I've been focusing mostly on working on the old group build and working on the T-3485. And this is why I mean uh, Lincoln Lake tracks. You know, when, when I hear armor people complain that aircraft has got things they don't like, uh, filling, you know, sanding seams, I'm like, you guys are masochists. Holy <laughs> smokes. That The tracks had me nothing but frustrated. Thankfully, I have this friend, uh, Scott, who hooked me up with some files and I will be, I've been assembling and and getting ready to uh, put on some some metal tracks. And I'm enjoying that part. But man, was I frustrated with those tracks. No, I completely understand. Tracks for me and armor modeling, they, they go one of two ways. Pretty smooth or just a complete disaster. And and that kind of leads me, I guess, to where I'm working. What I'm working on, I, I you know, I just finished assembling the T-34 track. So that's that's really good. I have the Kettencrad, you know, nearly done. Now I've started to clean up the figures. And then I've also been working on a, another project. Um, that I'll keep under wraps for a while, but yeah, it's uh, it's going to be pretty cool. And the U-boat's still staring at me square in the face, so I need to finish that as well. Um, and it just continues to uh, prod along. But 
as I mentioned before the video, before we started recording, uh, you know, I got a new job. I also planning to move soon, so it's going to be a bit chaotic. So I'm going to try to take advantage of whenever I can get to the bench uh, at any moment I can. So, you know, with that, Scott, close us out. Yeah. So other than uh, converting Doug to the wonderful world of metal tracks, which was a lot of fun, um, I've been working on a little take on kit that had two of those really cool, ridiculous Russian eight wheeled uh, Maz trucks. I've got one of those uh, completed. I'm working on the second one and I've got a four day weekend coming up here. So after I get all this uh, podcast stuff wrapped up, plan on getting the airbrush out and uh, painting those and then maybe a couple of projects that are marooned on my shelf of doom. So uh, we'll see how that goes, but been having, having a good time with those little uh, tacom trucks are pretty cool. Hey, can I ask a question real quick? Scott's the skipper, right? So which one of you is Gilligan? I'm sorry. Has anybody listened to the Mojo episode? I'm sorry. They had <laughs> nicknames for us. So I'm just wondering who's who. I'll, I'll take Gilligan. All right. Is JB's the professor over here. What does that make me? Thurston Howell the third? <laughs> well, it's either that or lovey. So take your pick. <laughs> or, I'll be Thurston. I'll take the cash. We'd like to remind everyone again that the Plastic Posse is sponsored by Tankcraft. Tankcraft makes the highest quality products for the discerning scale modeler, and we are proud that they are now an official sponsor of the Triple P. So who is Tankcraft? Tankcraft makes beautiful, self-healing cutting mats that will take your bench to the next level. Not only do they look amazing, they are made to stand up to your toughest builds. Constructed from heavy-duty laminated 3mm thick PVC, they have excellent self-healing and cut-resistant properties. But the best part is the beautifully rendered blueprint-like drawings of iconic World War II vehicles printed on the front. Up-armor your bench by adding a mat with a Panther or a Tiger One in Panzer Gray, or a T-34-85, or my personal favorite, the M4A3 Sherman in Military Green. They come in two sizes, 12 by 18 and 18 by 24 with one-inch grids and centimeter borders for handy reference. Not a tank guy, not a problem. Tankcraft has you covered with their Aircrafter Series modeler mats. Take your bench to new heights with the mighty P-47D Thunderbolt, P-51D Mustang, or the venerable Spitfire Mark 5B. But wait, there's more. We've got an exclusive offer for Plastic Posse listeners only. Use the code POSSE15 at checkout for a 15% discount. So head on over to tankcraft.com. That's Tankcraft, T-A-N-K-R-A-F-T dot com and order today. Hey, your bench called. It wants a new mat. We're excited to announce the first Plastic Posse podcast giveaway. Tankcraft will be giving away one of their 12 by 18 mats to one lucky Triple P listener. Send a picture to the Plastic Posse of your workbench along with a reason why you need an upgrade to the best workbench mat you can get. We will review all the entries and announce the lucky winner in episode 25. You can post the pictures on our Facebook page, Twitter page, Instagram, or Instagram account. You can also email us at plasticpossipodcast at gmail.com. JB, what do we have on tap for this episode? Well, today we have two great interviews with other people who share the Posse's passion for scale modeling. Our Modeler's Minute interview is with Pete Kokla, a great modeler and a friend of the show. We also have a great discussion about why each of us are passionate about the hobby. And later in the show, we have a terrific interview with UK modeler and social media content creator, James Cant, aka LPJ Models. I guarantee you're going to want to stick around for this one. We would like to remind everyone about our three ongoing 
plastic posse group builds. You might call them the everlasting group builds because these don't end. You can find them on Facebook by searching Plastic Posse Podcast Group Build. The themes are TIE Fighters, Ryefield Models, 135th scale T3485, and the Tamiya or Edward, 148th scale Spitfire Mark I or II. If you don't have Facebook, but you're on Instagram or Twitter, you can join us by using the hashtag, hashtag PPP Spitfire Group Build, hashtag PPP TIE Fighter Group Build, and hashtag PPP T34 Group Build. Although these group builds don't really have an end date, we'd like to have a soft end of August 16th, 2021, which is the Monday before the Nats in Las Vegas. If you're planning on attending Nats, please bring your completed group build entry so the posse can see it in person and give us the opportunity to talk to you about it. The Triple P is also sponsored by Sean's Custom Model Tools, makers of the Goodman Model Super Sanding Blocks. These blocks are an essential finishing tool for your model projects. These blocks allow you to have controlled precision sanding that will yield fantastic results. If you don't have a set yet, what are you waiting for? Head on over to www.goodmanmodels.com and order yourself a set. You'll be glad you did. Episode 24 of The Plastic Posse is also sponsored by Ray Borman and a suspicious group of posse members who seem like they may be out to cause a ruckus, including Terry, Paul, Matt, Ethan, Jamie, Steve, and Rick. These posse members all donated to help us bring you this podcast every two weeks, and we really appreciate it. If you're enjoying our podcast and you'd like to help sponsor the Posse, it's really easy. Just head on over to our website, plasticpossepodcast.buzzsprout.com. In the upper right-hand corner of our website, there's a little heart icon. Just click this icon and then you can donate any amount you would like. Or if you don't want to donate, that's okay. You can still show your support for the show by taking a few moments to leave us a review wherever you're getting your podcast from. Five-star reviews really help us get the Plastic Posse out to more listeners who are interested in scale modeling podcasts. As most of you know, the Posse is just one of several scale modeling podcasts. This is usually the place in our show where we read a list of a bunch of them, and since our podcast is long enough as it is, we're not going to do that anymore. Stuart Clark of Scale Model Podcast has created a website where all of these different podcasts and bloggers and other content creators will submit their information, then everyone can view them all in one easy place. Just head on over to modelpodcast.com and check it out. Well, it's time for our latest installment of our Modelers Minute segment. This time, TJ and I had a great conversation with Pete Kokla. Pete is a friend of the podcast and a great modeler. I know you guys will enjoy this. Hey everyone, welcome back. Today, JB and I are joined by Pete Klokal. Pete, how you doing? <laughs> it's Klokal, but it's okay. Ah, damn, did I mess up again? <laughs> so, just so everyone knows, he literally just told me how to say it, and I still screwed it up. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Just I went through it in college. I went through it in high school. It's fine. Don't worry about it. I'm Pete Klokal from Waffle Rescue Models on Instagram, and I'm looking forward to talking to y'all. Cool, man. Uh, go ahead. And- Give us, uh, give listeners, tell listeners a little about yourself, you know, what you like to model, how long you've been in modeling, that sort of thing. I mean, you know, the basic stuff. Okay. All right, cool. Um, I'm 34 years old. My dad was a modeler, did a lot of 48 scale aircraft, 
35th scale, U.S., World War II stuff, pretty much the run-of-the-mill stuff. I grew up going to AMPS meetings, IPMS stuff. I've taken breaks on and off from the hobby, got out of the hobby twice, but since I bought a house, I'm back in this pretty stronger than I've ever. The one thing that I absolutely love about this hobby is I love the community and I I truly found a really good community online and on, on, on Instagram. I met a lot of modelers who are younger than me, older than me. I've learned a lot. I've given advice, taken advice. I love it. Pretty much, I'm lucky. I've had a, I've had a lot of mentors in the hobby growing up. My father, Scott Dimmick from Hellcat Scale Modelers on Instagram, Kurt Jerns, Brian Dwight, a lot of other people I've learned a lot from. And pretty much, I'm addicted to anything from 1914 up until the 1945 era. Really like Korean War stuff. The one thing I'm really obsessed with is World War II equipment that was used after World War II. I've got a million projects I'm planning. I want to do like a Cuban staghound. I want to do Syrian Panzer IV, all that bizarre stuff. The only thing that's holding me back is decals at this stage. You know, I go to model, I go to a, um, I used to go to a lot more model clubs and stuff when I was living in New Jersey. It's part of AMPS, IPMS, and World Clubs. But, you know, lifetime changes. The good thing is, is I've met some amazing people that I've learned a lot from over the years. So I guess that's kind of my three minute story a little bit on the hobby. Yeah, I mean, I'm very lucky to know and learn from a lot of good people. And I apply those lessons, you know, to whenever I have time to go upstairs into the, the man cave or sad cave, whatever you want to be. <laughs> That's me when I'm touching pigments. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, ac- I'm actively trying not to use pigments lately. I- I'm finding the one thing I've learned is just you could do so much with oils and just like washes and like the... You know, the, the 502 oils for dust. I got this great Goonzy stuff. It's it's almost like a liquid pigment. And yeah, I use their um their stuff in it. It just it looks amazing. I did it on my KD my KD one. I was amazed with the finish and no pigments, no frowny faces. So I'll take it. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that product. I've only ever seen Japanese modelers use it. I don't see it proliferated here in the States that much. You're probably one of the first persons I've talked to that uses it. What what is it called? I have it upstairs. I can send it to you guys later. It's basically, it's this, they do a couple different tones. And it's one of those I picked up from the Gundam community, which there's a lot of cool stuff that Goonzy makes mm-hmm. for the Gundam people that armor modelers have got to try. Mm-hmm. Um, I could post some fo- uh, photos of that on my Instagram later if anybody's interesting. Yeah, anybody's interested. Basically what it is, is it's, they take, it's in a size, a bottle the size of, like to me, a liquid cement. And it will, there's a couple different dust tones and it's almost like a very, 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 very thin slurry, but it's a couple different dust tones and rust tones. And they had this, and now I've played with different, the 502 thin, um, thinners and stuff like that. But I found if you use this special thinner for it, it works amazing for it. You can play with it, you can thin it and you get really, really good, almost like dried dust, like almost like a dried light like pigment you know around like rivets and other areas like that the best thing is i put it over like vms flat and the stuff is just absolutely amazing i i i don't know mr goonzy but i want to plug that stuff that stuff's amazing as i said i'll post some pictures of it and i'll post some photos of it if for any of the listeners out there who do have any questions about it but yeah it's one of those i picked it up looking at gundam like the gundam selection stuff 
So this is the same stuff. I'm looking at your R35 picture right now. And specifically the suspension, it's got that nice, crusty, dusty look. Was that accomplished with this Gunze stuff? Yes. There's two really good dust colors. One is like a dark khaki, and the other one is like a whitish, grayish tan. Mm-hmm. What I do is I I, put, I apply it over flat. I, I played it with, with satin, but it just works better with a flat base. Again, that VMS stuff is amazing. The best thing is you could let it dry a little bit, and then I use their thinner and just kind of play with it, and I blend it. I've also tried adding pigments to it. It actually works really well for adding pigments. And I've actually used it to put it over mud just to kind of different, you know, just have different tones on like road wheels or in suspension mm-hmm. to kind of break up the color a little bit. Um, and they have rust colors too. I haven't played with them totally yet. I'm kind of like looking for the right thing. I might just do it on my BT7 whenever I get around to finishing it. These guys? Yes, that stuff. That stuff right there. Yes, Mr. W- Mr. Weathering Color. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I want to say I was like up in Bethesda a couple of months ago because um, I had a job up there and, and I had some time after work. That they had a, I think it's called Hobby Works. I went and checked it out. They didn't have a whole lot, but they did have a lot of like gunsy stuff. I want to say they had this stuff there and I looked at it. And I was like, meh, I don't know what this is. So I, I didn't get it. I just got like some Mr. Cement S or something and some like two big bottles of uh, Mr. Leveling Thinner. Man, if I ever go back up there, I'm going to have to grab some. I think I actually know where Hobby went. Uh, I think I know it's, it was kind of by the Maryland District of Columbia, kind of like border. I think I stopped there one time on my way back. Yeah, it was like right off of 355. Yeah, it was down it, the road from Walter Reed. Yeah, really cool store. But yeah, um, it's called Mr. Weather and Color Solvent 110. It's the same thing. It comes in all the typical Goonzie bottle sizes. I recommend using their thinner with it. I'm a big proponent of using the products thinner with it. You know, some people try to take different routes, but I find usually, you know, whatever product they use, I use their thinner with it. Okay. Man, that's a great tip. I'm about to check that out because I always struggle with like convincing dust effects, which is why I'm so stressed out about the next phase of the Crusader. Because I'm like, if I'm going to mess it up anywhere, it's going to be right here. Because I've done one other desert vehicle and it was okay, I guess, but I was never really happy with it. I'm telling you, order that stuff and use it on your Crusader and... Get a couple, get a couple different shades, play with it, mix it, and I think you'll get that dust effect you want for North Africa. Because I mean, absolutely, like I love the chipping you did on that when you sent me those. Oh, thank you. I was like, whoa! I cannot wait to do that on my Valentine whenever I get around to that. But yeah, it's 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 different, and you know that's why I'm always checking out what the Gundam guys are using and just trying to take the best I can and you know apply it. So, so I have a question on that product then. If you're, it's an enamel base, are you using it over Tamiya, Vallejo, uh, Ammo of Mega Acrylics? Have you done them all? Are you putting a seal coat on them? What's your thoughts on that? Okay, so what I try to do is I pretty much use AK Real Colors and Tamiya paint. Okay. I know that there are some, there were some teething problems early on with some of the AK Real Colors. I like them, honestly. I like their olive drab. I, I swear mm-hmm. by that. They're all drab. What is it like? A twenty? Or like yeah, RC twenty three or twenty four? It's the best olive drab ever. It just works. Yeah, like I got I got a pre war stort I'm doing, and I got I'm gonna be using that. So what I do is I'll I'll use that. Um, I'll put one or two drops of Tamiya Clear, and then I'll use like Mister Leveling Thinner, another amazing product. Um, spray it on, and then what I'll do is I will you know do the typical like semi gloss coat for decals, and then when I start the weathering. I spray it with the VMS uh, matte finish, let that dry for a day. I start my weathering on that. And the best thing is, is with that product, 
you could blend it really well. So it's like when I do, when I start to do my weathering stage on my Canadian Staghound, it'll be really good to kind of get dust on some of like the folded up tarps and some of the other crew stowage on it. So I'm going to have, there's going to be different like boxes there that'll be like SEC2 and everything else like that. So I want like that kind of caked in dust on stowage and the gear. And then, you know, around other areas, I'll put some pigments over that and I'll actually use that solvent as if some people are using to me a thinner to kind of as a, as like a pigment binder. Right. So you use it as that. If you guys saw my KV, my KV1 build, the two-tone yes. one, I... I love that, by the way. Oh, appreciate that. I pretty much used a lot of that. I used their their solvent to um, kind of bind everything together. So definitely worth trying, but this is one of those, like, go into your stash and find, like, just something you want to... You, you'd be fine with messing it up. Again, try it. I am going to try doing some exhaust with some of their rust tones, just because I think you can kind of get that nitty gritty kind of crappy looking exhaust. I think you get a good. I think you get a good texture and blend to it, just by how the the product works with pigments and how it dries and everything like that. So it's something else I want to play with when I you know when I get some time. What are you working on right now? What do you What do you have on the bench? <laughs> oh, I got. That's a, um, is that a loaded question? Yeah. <laughs> What do I start? Um, <laughs> the the main thing I'm working on right now is I got the the Tamiya Mora 3M that Normandy front one. I'm doing it pretty much out of the box. Uh, the only thing I did with this is I just took some sheet styrene. Um, I went in and I basically remade the brackets uh, for the 75 millimeter shell racks. I, to me, that's like the one part of the kit that it's really kind of like lacking. So I just went in there, grabbed my old copy of Panzer Sumar, and just kind of rebuilt that. That's pretty much at the painting stage. I just I I got a Canadian staghound I'm doing for Normandy, the blast stowage set, barrel photo etch. My friend started up a 3D printing company, uh, Hellcat Skill Modelers from Scott Dimmick. Um, I got one of the really really early castings of his M3 Honey conversion. So I'm actually going to do um, a pre-war maneuvers kit. So basically, what it is, I take the newer to me store. He, he included like a turret, grab handles, all this other neat stuff. Really, really, really sharp casting. And I'm going to do one of the pre-war maneuver vehicles, you know, where they had the big, like, red tape stripes around the turret and big numbers and that. I really want to build a plane, and I kind of sort of started one. So I want what, what to it, P-47. Just the, to me, P-47, okay. which everybody says it's, like, the best plane kit, like, on the market. So I'm, like, really itching to do that. And the thing is, too, is I, I'm a huge animal lover. I'm sure anybody who knows me on Instagram knows that I love animals to death. So it's like, I, I, I don't know what to do for markings because there's a billion different ones out there. Like I, there's one of them where it's literally looks just like my cat painted on the fuselage. So <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm going to do that one. And then I got a, the 16 scale take on FT-17, which that's a really neat kit you can get for under a hundred bucks. And it's not as big as you think. So it's like one of those, like, oh, yeah. like mm-hmm. it's big, but it's, it's like one of those of like, okay, that's like manageable big, you know? Yeah. When you see some of the 16 scale like Tamiya kits, you're like, "Yeah, that's that's a coffee table." I'm I'm, I'm not sure. This is like, eh, you can make room for it. Yeah, things like so small. It's like probably smaller than a 35th scale like Abrams or near the same size. It's tall. Yeah, it's tall. And the trench skid is pretty much half the kit. I mean, it's a small vehicle to begin with. I actually got to sit in one and ri- uh, ride on one once, and I was t- I was too tall for it, and it was the most rickety thing ever. I'm just adding some basic rivets, some other stuff that's out there. And I'm just, I'm honestly looking for a good, like, um, American Expeditionary Force one to do. Yeah. And, that, and that's kit too. It's just, it's just going to be mud and washes over the weathering on it. 
I don't know, man. I really want to get that border crusader. That was that that flex is. Uh, <laughs> I really want to get that kit. It's a good kit. I get. It depends on who you ask. Compared to nothing, it's three and a half, maybe a four out of five, like kit wise, because there's some questionable decisions. Mainly with the photo etch, the the plastic is more or less fine. Mm-hmm. Some of the photo etch is just like there's complicated bends you have to make, but none of it doesn't have like bending marks on it. And you need some of the stuff you need like a sharp bend. Like, well, okay, part that part's dumb. Like our buddy JC was like, this is the dumbest shit ever. <laughs> so he stopped working on it mainly because of that because he's like, I'm not doing this. I tried to get him to soldier through, but I don't know if he will. But if you like the subject, which I do, it's one of my favorite, all-time favorite vehicles. To me, it's like a, a five just because it's a Crusader. And I love, it's such a cool, sleek-looking vehicle. Most people, It gets almost no attention, you know, because it was only in service for, what, less than three years. And, you know, it's just like, you know, a lot of people, and plus it's British armor, which most people don't like anyways. They're like the bottom tier when it comes to like, who, what do you want to model? German, American, yeah. Soviet, all the way down here is like British. It's a lot harder to get the colors right with that stuff. You know, anybody yeah. anybody said to try to make SCC2 from mixing Tamiya paint, you know, it's, it's a chemistry experiment half time. That is the ugliest color. Oh, I know. <laughs> I did uh, I did a Valentine in it and it just, it looked like a piece of chocolate when it was done. I was like, it, it <laughs> Literally, well, I put I put a picture of it on my Facebook page with, with Homer Simpson. It was like because like mm, chocolate tanks because it <laughs> it really did look like a piece of milk chocolate. Like that's and it was like oh my god, this is so hideous. This is not. It should not look like this. But it just looks right when it's weathered right. I don't know why. Yes. I, I love that color when it's done, but when you actually spray it, you're just like, what am I doing? Like you're like, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah, I liked I liked how it turned out. It was it was interesting, but I I just remember as I was doing it, I'm like this this kind of looks like. <laughs> literally yeah like literally i'm like oh man what am i getting myself into i i love british uh, british commonwealth i i had this huge thing for len lease armor i don't know what it is if it's it's an m10 if it's a south african m10 a french sherman russian lees i've got about three or four different takecom lees for different like soviet ones i want to do which that's an addiction just because i love bizarre markings i don't know what it is but yeah just absolutely bizarre markings. I, I guess I have to do something German then. I don't know. Just to kind of break. I have to do more German stuff. I guess to break it up. <laughs> um, I've been trying to diversify a little bit, but my next German subject is going to be captured Russian. So there you go. I, get, I guess I get best of both worlds, I guess. Right. Yeah. Pretty much. They're on the Eastern Front. Everybody used everything at least once. So there's at least <laughs> four <for> it. <laughs> so Pete, I'm looking at your Instagram. You are probably one of the only people I know that built these Vezda M4A2 Lend-Lease Tell me your thoughts on it. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> that high bustle on the back is the thing that sticks out the most to me. Yeah. Uh, all right. From the price point, it's amazing. I literally got the okay. kit $28. Yeah. Oh, that's cheap. Right. If you're a modeler on a budget, it's it's a good kit. Like, it's a good kit if you're a modeler on a budget. But if you got, like, OCD and you start looking at photos... And then you're like, well, that turret doesn't look right. This gun, like the gun barrel is a two-piece barrel, but it's not like the split in half two-piece barrel. It's like half of it is like comes in a separate piece and it's like slightly bigger on one half than it is the other. And it like doesn't make any sense. And then it's one of those kits that I, I ended up putting a little bit of aftermarket stuff on. And then I just kind of, I, I forgot about it. I completely forgot about it. To be honest with you, it's a great kit if you had a budget, but if you're like a Sherman OCD nut, you could actually piece that together with Ahsoka parts, which I'm kind of doing upstairs right now. <laughs> I 
the cool thing about it, and this is the one thing, is they did some really neat little modular things. It's one of the first kits I've seen where they actually molded on the sand skirt rails. And they did it in a way where it's a little thick, but end it a little bit, you go there with a you go there with you know a little drill bit, you can make it look really nice. The other cool thing about it is it to me, they took the um Lincoln Link tracks for Sherman and just did it right. That's another redeeming thing about it. Because if anybody who's built the TACOM Lee well, kind of, yeah, I know. Those those tracks, man. Those those tracks are just foobar. Right, yeah. They're too short, and you're you're sitting there trying to do the mental math of trying to make these, like, hide these little gaps and stuff. But that's the one thing Zevda did right, and I give Zevda a lot of credit for that. And if they went back and maybe changed a couple little things, or if you got a really good Sherman spare box, you could, you could turn that kit into an absolute gem. There are some Russian companies out there that are actually doing some pretty cool aftermarket stuff for it. And they're actually doing really cool decals for it. The one thing that the kit is missing decal wise is all the neat like US shipping stencils and like don't work down here in English and in Russian and stuff. And unfortunately is the the decal option to give you the kit, it it needed that. But the Russians, they're kind of coming up with some cool aftermarket stuff. You can definitely tell that there's a sense of pride in that kit for them. And I, I, I give them props and, they said they're going to do a 76 millimeter gun one. And honestly, I'm going to buy it. I'm I'm going to put some 3D printed light guards on it, some straps on it, just clean it up and just make it look nice. I mean, it looks it looks nice with a little bit of help. You know, if you're a model like me who doesn't have a ton of time, but you want to add a little bit, it it really, really helps it out. I mean, and where else are you going to go right now? Are you going to go on eBay and hunt down the Dragon PTO? 75 bucks at my local hobby shop. And if you have a good spare box, what, spend five bucks on a... Uh, DEF barrel. Nice. Yeah, yeah. That's I'm gonna buy one based on your recommendation. Actually, now. Uh, yeah, some people, some people after that have kind of private messaged me on Instagram, going like, "Well, I, I kind of bought it after seeing yours." <laughs> <laughs> and they're kind of like, "Well, I see what you mean with the turret, but it's but honestly, if, if you're like just want to have a fun Soviet Sherman, it's it's not gonna, it's not really gonna matter. And they have a lot of cool casting marks on it that even Asuka or Tasca didn't even do." Which is another good redeeming feature on the kit. I would say based on because I have that kit too, but I've I've not built it. But I've I've looked. I opened the box. Isn't the t- the turrets like really smooth though? Right? Like you would you would have to texture that. Oh, that is yeah. Mister Surfacer Five Hundred is going to be your friend on that. The other thing is really weird is the transmission cover is this weird two piece where it's like one third of the way down from the from the bolts there was like a gap where you would join it. And then it's like, I had to like fill it. Thank God it's like a casted part. So right. I ended up like filling it and stuff. You couldn't tell, but it's one of those of like, you are going to need some Mr. Surfacer on the kit and a little bit of to me a putty, but it's nothing that any average modeler, you know, it's, it's, it's all easy fixable. It's not like, it's not like one of those like, Oh, I don't want to fix this. You know, we all dread that on some of these older, you know, kits that punish you. This is just like, yeah, I'll just fill it. Thing, do you guys see the little cans of like the canned, like Lindley's pork? And they give you the little decal labels for it. They give you like these little molded cans on the screw. You cut them out and they have the decals. And it's like the the ration label, like Len Lease Roosevelt sausage pork. <laughs> <laughs> oh, definitely sold now. Yeah. And it's like, I actually ended up saving that. And I'm like, there's a stug I want to do. And I literally want to see if you're going to have the crew like trying to force open the can, trying to eat <laughs> So that's another redeeming feature. I, I, I give Zev the, like a you know thumbs up for that one. 
it's better than like some of the old Byzantine kits they did you know, years ago from when I was in like middle school. You know, like that. Old- yeah, I've, I've I've heard things about some of their older kits. Well, yeah, I mean, people say their T90 is pretty good too, but I, I just haven't gotten around to it. But uh, yeah, pick it up thirty bucks, JB. I mean, that's you know, we've got the dinner right now for that. <laughs> I know, I know. I drink like two IPAs, and I'm already out the door at that price for crying out loud. Right. <laughs> So, no, that's great. And so, you know what, you you hit on a topic that I'd love for you to talk more about and maybe the style or how you do the hobby in terms of kind of accuracy versus buildability versus, you know, does it look close enough? Where, where do you kind of stand in that regard with the hobby and what brings you happiness? I don't have a ton of time. I try to do a I, I try to do hit all the heads at once, but I try not to go too far in one because if you go too far in one, when you have limited time, you're going to end up punishing yourself and you're going to end up doing more damage, I think, to yourself mentally on that project. One of my OCD problems I do have is, and this is one of the worst things about me, is I'm a World War One living historian. So sometimes I get really nuts about some details when it's like, I really shouldn't waste my time on that. But I'm a believer if, you know, a little photo etch, a barrel, tracks, you know, you develop your formula of what you're happy with and I, you have a blast. And at the end of the day, you have to have fun. And if you're if you're sitting there abusing yourself, you know, to chase that like or, or get that share on Instagram or, or, or the mention on a certain company's products on Instagram's thing, you're you're going to end up burning yourself out. And I years ago, I I kind of burnt myself out on that. I, I was I was chasing something that wasn't there. And I came back and I have a blast now. And one of the best things you could do is take it seriously, but not take it too seriously. I mean, there's so many cool Star Wars things out there I want to build. And, you know, watching the Clone Wars and watching Rebels. I mean, I, 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 there's like four different A-wings I want to build. I've been watching Rebels in my life. <laughs> but no, I try to do a good mix of everything. My, my thing is, is, you know, if you get the decals right, you get your, your SEC 15, your Olive Drab, your German Dark Yellow. That's fine. And you know what else is too, is the good thing is, is the references out there are just absolutely amazing. You know, anytime you see him having an open house or anything, I'm, I'm there and I'm literally just sitting out there seeing how mud collects. And I try to copy that. I pretty much have my cell phone with me all the time. Like, you know, and the guy goes to a, goes to the open house in North Virginia at the tank farm and I'm literally crawling under Sherman's and stuff. Oh, that's how that, and that's how that dust comes over there. Oh, that, that is supposed to be there. I thought that was just a weird gap, but you know, it's, I try to I try to get all of that at once without giving myself a heart attack. It's life's too short, so you might as well have some fun with it. And plus two, I mean, I'm not building for a competition. I don't I don't need that amps gold, you know. I don't need that pat in the back, you know. I just I try to have fun with it, and I try to share online because I don't know. I just I like talking to other modelers. That's uh, you know, I go to some of these clubs, and I'm I'm the youngest one or the youngest one by half sometimes, you know. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we were kind of talking about that before we started recording, and that that's a that's a real thing because I've I've been there too. I mean, you know, my first IPMS club meeting, like everyone was super nice to me. No one was like mean or anything. But I looked around, I'm like, I'm pretty sure these guys have kids older than me. You know, I mean, they probably have grandkids almost my age. Yeah, it's just I don't know. It's 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 kind of strange. Yeah, yeah, and I think right now is the hobby's kind of going through a little bit of a generational thing. And if you guys don't mind. One thing I've noticed I'd like to talk about is, um, you know, I've seen a lot of cool, there's a lot of cool younger guys out there. I mean, for the longest time in my 20s, you know, I was going to model clubs with my, you know, my buddy Scott. You know, I was always the youngest person in the room, but I learned a lot. But it's now I've kind of gotten older and I've noticed when anybody who says the hobby is dying, 
I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> I mean, it's an objectively yeah incorrect statement. Yeah, right. Is- like it's not grounded in reality at all. Like, I, but I've heard that before, and I, I literally, I'm I'm 34 years old, and I I literally had a modeler one time told me, "Hey, millennial, are you going to eat your Tide Pods?" <laughs> I'm not joking. I'm, I'm, I'm I not, believe you. I'm not. I'm I believe not. you. And the good thing is now is with Gundam and the Warhammer and World of Tanks. I mean, that's I mean that's opened up so much now. And Fury, you know, like um, all this stuff is getting people into it. The problem is, I think a lot of people don't know how to find each other. And some of the Facebook groups are a little toxic, but Instagram is this really. I think it's kind of like a neat level playing field for a lot of the millennial and, and Gen Z modelers out there and stuff like that. And I have people I've never met before. They message me every day asking, hey, what's up? How's your cat doing? Oh, heard you did this. Heard you did that. What's going on? You know, and it's 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 cool that we have that resource out there kind of for younger people. But it's going to clubs, I think, is kind of hard because it's like half the time you go to some of these model clubs and it's like they're literally talking about IPMS elections. How are you going to get a, a guy who's 21 excited about building models and Gundams and Mantoon tanks when they're talking about IPMS elections? Hey man, vote for me. I'm running. <laughs> oh, you are? <laughs> <laughs> no, but no, you hit on something really important, Pete, and, and I can certainly echo it. And, and TJ, you're going to witness it when you go to Vegas. You and I will probably be some of the youngest people in the room. Oh, yeah. I've already established that. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm 35. I'm very fortunate. I grew up in the hobby. My dad took me everywhere. I I consider a lot of the, the modelers that go to these shows, not friends, but family. Um, but you bring up an important point, Pete, where I think we're at a, I really do believe in, it didn't hit me until you mentioned it. We're at a unique time in the hobby where I think the society IPMS can really evolve and leverage what's happening kind of in the world of social media and maybe bring some of those younger modelers in um, because, you know, the society needs it to honestly stay alive. I, I think there, I think there is an opportunity because Damn, shows are fun, uh, especially when you get a good group of guys like around my neighborhood. There's probably five of us that are all below like 45, 40 years old. And it's it's actually a really good time. Shows are amazing when you have a pretty when you're with some cool people. That's one thing with COVID. I was kind of hoping to go to the, you know, the Virginia show in Richmond and everything like that. My friend Scott Brian, everybody else come, but you know, COVID happened. So I'm I'm looking forward to next year. Um, I am gonna try to go to Mosquito Con in July up in New Jersey. So I might try to go up there, but I had a local show at a hobby shop. I went just for the hell of it two weeks ago. There was guys there at a high school and they were building armor. There were guys, there there was a girl there. They're out there. I just think they all kind of need to know each other. Yeah. There's a lot of gatekeeping with a lot of these IPMS groups. And how can you get people who are really interested in the hobby and they see what like's going on, like on the ammo Facebook page or stuff like that. When you have guys who are living the Tony Greenland dry brushing over over with white on a 38T, I think a lot of younger people, they're out there. They just kind of need to start finding each other and, you know, getting established. I mean, what what it is, is I, I don't want to diagnose the quote unquote problem because I can't do that. But from my vantage point, it looks like everyone's like the, the older generation. It's not to call them out. It's not anything nefarious. It's. Everyone knows that you eventually have to pass the torch, right? And it seems like there's there's a large segment of people. And it's not just the older generation either. It's it's not just them. It's I'm not. It's not a, the, all their fault. They don't. They're they're like reaching that torch out, but they're like holding on to it like really tight. And like someone's trying to like take 
take it and be like, hey, look, man, it'll be okay. Like, we've got this. Like, we'll, we will continue to make this hobby the best hobby that there is because it, it truly is. I love doing this more than almost anything in my life. And so do a bunch of other people, but th- there's a contingent of people and it's, it's not just old people. So, you know, don't, and don't at me with that. It's, All ages. but there's just people that don't want to let other people do it because they're, they're not doing it the way they think they should be doing it. You know, we talked to Anthony Goodman and uh, like, I think on our third or fourth episode and he, I don't know if you know Anthony, but he is very heavily into science fiction modeling, but like the Japanese style with like the mecha suits, not just Gundam. It's like all this other stuff I've never even heard of. And he has talked, uh, he lived, I believe he lived in Japan too for a while. And he knows people in that industry. And he told us, he's like, dude, the amount of kits they sell just punishes what Tamiya sells with armor. Like you think Tamiya sells a lot of models and they do. Uh, some random robot that Westerners never even heard of will sell way more, just so many more. And they're just that, it, it, but then you come here and then other Western areas and they're like, that's not even modeling. You're like, but it is though. It really is. And if you brought those people into the fold, you're only going to get better. In my opinion. Like we were saying before about the Mr. Weathering stuff. I mean, it's just, it's, it's discovering, you know, it's discovering everything else. And, the local hobby shop I go to, Hangar 18 in Gary, they literally can't keep the Gundam stuff on the shelves. It's It's gone. Like, I wanted to get, you know, the, the Mr. Cup of Noodles kit that yeah. they do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every time, I go, every time I go in there, the thing's gone. And it's like, it's just, that's cool. And they're they're being bought and they're being built. You go in there, people are building stuff, you know? You know, at the local yeah. show, tons of Gundams out there. And it's it's, it's out there. Same thing with the Meng Toon tanks. That's another yeah. thing that people, like, love. You go to Hobby Lobby, people are picking those up left and right. I love to I love tune tanks. Me too. Me too. I, 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 I and I don't care what anyone thinks. <laughs> I think they're fantastic. Yeah, it's the box art so cool. That stuff sells. Um, exactly, know? it sells. And and I want to hit on one point, Pete. You you mentioned there the weathering stuff. I'll be honest. At first, I kind of poo pooed the weathering bottled stuff, like literally ten years ago. And then I used it. I'm like, this is the greatest thing ever. I mean, it's convenience in a bottle, and I'm willing to pay for it to get consistent results. And I think that's done so much for the hobby to not only bring people in and make it easier, but also for people to develop their skills and really achieve what they see in a magazine because they're being explicitly told, hey, this is what I use because I do the same thing. I'm, I'm still discovering, you know, if my local mm-hmm. hobby gets something in that, you know, Goonzy or whoever makes, I, I buy it just for the try it. You know, you know the yeah. other product I swear by is the Mr. Servicer 1500 Black Primer Spray. I oh. love that stuff. It's great. Every time, every time I go to the store, I pick up a can or two for ten bucks because you know what? You don't know if you're going to be able to get it. It was a period you couldn't get it. Another thing I swear by all their thinners. I swear by. I'm constantly just type, you know, asking the Gundam guys, "What'd you do here? What'd you do?" And you know what the thing is too? They're getting into using the ammo stuff. They're getting into using a lot of the mainstream stuff. It's everybody's coming together. You know, it's just not the. It's not going to be the let's build um, bombs P38. You know what some guys do, and that's cool. If that's the thing, that's cool. One of the best, some of the best modeling experiences, especially for your armor guys, and I really, really recommend this, is learn to be an amps judge. If you really, really want to learn about your stuff, learn about other people, get to know people in the hobby, is amps judging. I cannot recommend that enough to people. 
you see a lot of people's work and you get to meet a lot of really cool people and talk to a lot of cool people. And then you find out that people are into the same bizarre kind of armor you are, which is cool. If you yeah. go, go to it, be an amps judge, great experience. I, I did that back when I, I think the first amps I went to was in 01 and I judged in oath throughout the early 2000s. But one of them, I remember uh, one of the first shows, Miguel Jimenez showed up and he brought like five pieces of armor. And I had the opportunity to judge his M41 Walker Bulldog and then also his uh, little Japanese tank that was from the Navy. And again, it's like, holy cow, here's big stuff right in front of me. And I'm, you know, with other dudes that we're just kind of awestruck, but then also we can, we have to look at it objectively and we also judge it. And, you know, we learn that sometimes the master is not always the master and basic construction is still a thing for people. So you get inspired and then humbled in that same moment and you learn, okay, what, what are things that I need to do to, you know, up my game? And, you know, you go on IPMS show and I'm, I'm not knocking it at all, but it's like how many ME109 G6s will you have on the table? 50. You know, 50. <laughs> have, have, have you that? I'm pretty sure they have their own category for that. Yeah, they split them. Yeah, they'll split. You go to AMPS, John, if you don't want, I'm just sure this little anecdote is, no, you know, go ahead, go ahead. is uh, you know, you judge and you, you get to see everything. And you're like, there was, I remember this, I was, it was at AMPS East forever ago. And there was a guy who he built and he built it very well, the Dragon T80, you know, and he built it. And it's like the fact that the guy built it, presented it and stuff, you got to give that guy credit, you know, and we all did. We're like, you, 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 this looks good. You made it work, you know, and it's just. I learn a lot from that. And you know what's cool is when amps, they kind of, you know, I remember like hearing what I did wrong and it's stuff you apply. And one of my weaknesses, I have no problem with my weaknesses. I am not the best at kind of like when I have to do some pretty deep filling, I'm not the best at cleaning them up. And it's one of those, but it looks good at one, you know, it looks good under the primer. And next thing you know, you're doing washes and you're like, oh, this looks terrible. But it's like stuff like that you could fix. And you, just different perspectives from the hobby. You're there with four other people. Sometimes you don't even know these people. Well, that that's like you said. Sometimes you don't even know them. And then you just bump into them picking up their model. Like I, I, I try to do it every time leaving a show. If I see something I really like, I always try to go up and say, hey, I really like that. And, you know, get their name and then see, hey, it might sound creepy, but like, hey, are you on Facebook or are you on Instagram? Do you have a page? I'd love to follow you. This is great stuff. And it's like kind of that breaking the ice, you know, kind of, you know, okay, hey, let's let's feel each other out and then we can become friends. But there's been multiple occasions of that where, where that that's just the case from, from the show. I went to that local show two, three weeks ago. I met, met this young guy, really Spartan models on Instagram. Him and I were talking everything like that. And it's just getting to know people, talking to people. And you know, you by talking to that one modeler, this could be his first show and just talking to him. That could change his whole perspective. Wow. This guy's talking, he's hanging out with me. You know, and this is one of those, you might make someone's day, more than winning a medal. And honestly, the medal is, it's, it's not important. It's just inconsequential to that. Yeah. It's, Mm -hmm. it's meeting people and getting to know people and and learning and, you know, the vendor area, which is always cool. Yeah. You know, you really hit on something important there. I think it's, it's, it's just that there, if you can look at feedback for IPMS and I'm, I'm sorry, we keep using them, but you know, a lot of ill will towards that organization spawns from usually one or two interactions that stick with someone for a lifetime. And it typically happens at a show. I witnessed that two weeks ago and I, I felt for somebody. Yeah. It's it's kind of like a good old boys network. I, that's what it, 
feels like sometimes. And it's, I don't have any axes, you know, in it, but it's, I saw a younger modeler. He didn't deserve kind of the crap he got. And that's all I'm going to say. Yeah. And, and I will say that happens, but then maybe on the other side too, I'd like to say that sometimes those shows can, can be the spark of something that, you know, really fuels the hobby for someone. Right. Some yeah. kind of bad. My, my first show I entered, you know, I was in high school in the mid two thousands. You know, my dad took me to MesquiteCon up in New Jersey and, that was a great, great experience, and it's just you know, it's like I said, it's getting to know people. But don't 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 be chasing that white whale of of you know whatever metal or plaque or anything like that. Because at the end of the day, you can't take that with you. Oh yeah, and I think that's really important. I always say it's any given Sunday. Judges are always biased. You know, lighting could be one way or another at a table. Some people might just not might, might not like something, or somebody might like something. Don't ever think that a judging result is a vindication or any type of validation for your hobby. It's I, I would take you know a comment on Instagram or Facebook over a medal any day, uh, to be honest. Same here. And it, what I love about Instagram is um, it's a lot more of a civil comment section than it is on Facebook. Sometimes, yeah, if that makes any sense. That's no. a really good well, point. One hundred percent. I don't know. So it's like a higher IQ Facebook a little bit. <laughs> no you're you're not wrong it it i've met a lot of modelers on on facebook but i've talked to and interacted with probably more on instagram and not that anyone's ever really like been a dick to me on facebook because they haven't but i have noticed that it is generally like everyone's really friendly and supportive and and interesting that interested in what you have to do but that, that, that kind of circles back like what, what you guys were touching on before where like meeting people and getting to know that. And because I've found that I, I've met a ton of people in the last what since like August. And I, I got to know John. And I've got to know you, Pete, through Instagram. And I've, I've found that modelers typically like to talk to other modelers because I, I don't know about you guys. I don't have a lot of people. I, well, actually, I have zero people in my life other than you, like you guys, like in my, that I see every day anyways, like in my, my real life that build models. I have friends that play Warhammer that's building models, but that's not capital B building models, right? You're there. We're building toys. Cause I, I play Warhammer too. That's not the same league in my opinion. So John has told me like, yeah, just talk, just reach out to someone, just say, Hey man. And he's like, just talk to him. And, and I found that that is true. You message someone, ask them a question. I've never had anyone ignore me. Everyone's always responded back. And it's something I would never really thought of before. But the blood in the water isn't really there on Instagram. And that's, that's what I really like about it. And that's why, um, that's what I said before, there's a lot of younger guys out there that their, their stuff is just simply amazing. There's one guy from the UK, Ben Crawley. He's, yes. He's like, I, know, I know him. Like 22. He messages me every day. Absolutely love the guy. His stuff is absolutely incredible. It kind of, gives a real human element to it a little bit. I don't know. I, I'm into that stuff. I'm into meeting people and talking to people. I will say my only comment about Instagram, I wish I could save photos from it. Like yeah, I screenshots. I there's a lot of, there's a lot yeah. of, there's a lot of screenshots. screenshots yeah. yeah. <laughs> especially, especially uh, John, I kind of sort of saved some of those martyr pictures, the martyr one you did. Oh, I'll send you all of them. I have a, I have a whole album. I, I I got that kit and I like Scott Dimmick's like oh you know Echelon's coming out for a decal set set for that so it's kind of like one of those of like I'm kind of putting that kit off for a little bit and I and everybody's it's like literally everybody's building that you know and it's like oh, I gotta get this kit and I saw yours and 
that's one thing I like about your stuff, John. I don't mean to be a brown nose yours. I love your control of washes on your stuff. Oh, I, just, I really. That's the one thing I really am trying to get better at is more control of my washes. And no, I, I, you know, just going back to level set. No, I, I really appreciate that. You got to build that kit. It's awesome. I, yeah. I made up my markings for it, but I mean, it's 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 it's, it's one of those things where the vehicle in its natural environment is in a vehicle dump with. Mm-hmm. Army Air Corps guys walking around it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. Like that Normandy dump. I could just see a couple of them next to Panthers and stuff. I, but I do love your Martyr Three as well. The Three M. That's a gorgeous kid. One of Tamiya's older ones, but their update with the Lincoln Link tracks. It, it's a dope. It's a dope kid. May I uh, say one thing? Is if anybody from Tamiya is listening to this, just keep on this thing of taking your kits that like really are nice. Add a little bit more photo etch, Lincoln length tracks, and a single piece barrel, and I, I'll just start giving you my paychecks at that stage. Same, <laughs> please, because it's like I love to meet kids. They they're, they're like locks. They just work. They just yeah. work. And it's like I love their Cromwell. I know it's a billion years old, but if they imagine if they included Lincoln length tracks and photo etch and like new figures and new decal options, it's, it's a solid kid. Anything they make is great. So. I want to talk about nostalgia real quick. We keep mentioning Tamiya. Did you ever remember, Pete? You might know. I don't know if you know, TJ. Do you guys ever remember Tamiya Con? Was it that thing in California they used to have in the modeling magazines from like, I think I was in like elementary school. And it was like, they'd have like those dioramas where it's like whatever the new kit was, like, let's say the M4. Tamiya Con was hosted by Tamiya USA. And I apologize if I don't get it right. And I only bring this up because it was such a cool contest. It was hosted by Tamiya USA outside of LA, and they're usually crowned four winners, like armor, aircraft, auto, and a ship or a die or something. If you won that show, you won an all-expense trip to Japan to visit Tamiya headquarters, and I believe you could put your model on display. Mr. Tamiya took your model, put it in the Tamiya factory for, for display. Chris Morosco won it back, I think, in the late 90s. But, like, I always wanted to go to that show when I was in middle school, reading about it and stuff. And now it's no longer. But, but no, it's, I remember that. And they'd have the ad. And they always had the coolest dioramas. Yes. Like, the absolute coolest dioramas. And and that's that's just something I miss. I, come on, to me, bring it back. We're, you know, <laughs> if, if, look what nostalgia did for um for Stranger Things. Let's, let's get that going again. You know what else I got into two Spitfires? I, I haven't even built one. I don't know. Watching Dunkirk kind of like messed me up. We got a group build, man. I'm, see, I'm not on fi- I'm not on Facebook, John. You know that. It's on. That's, it's on Instagram too. It's on Instagram it's on, too. You can play. My wife and I were literally. We found a hobby shop in Asheville, North Carolina, coming back from like a trip, and I stopped there, and I'm like, they got to do me a new Spitfire Mark One. I literally bought that, and just like, does it come with Tom Hardy's markings and ports? <laughs> I I love the early Mark Spitz. Yes. Yes. It'll be yeah. my first airplane. I've never built yeah. an airplane it's before. P forty seven away. I have a P forty seven. I have it. I haven't built it. It's up on that shelf back there that, that the listeners can't see. Just imagine a shelf about twenty feet behind me, listeners, and it's up there. Imagination can only go so far. <laughs> <laughs> is that the is that the Tamiya KV one I see behind you? Uh yes it is. It is built. Um yeah, so it's a, over there somewhere. That's like the nicest weekend kit they've come out with like in a while. Like yeah. that's one of those great, like you could build it in a weekend and it just looked good. I don't know. I love that. Yeah, it flew together. Yeah. Best best hole fitting ever on that kit too. Hope they do a KD too. 
I, oh, I yeah. hope so too. I would buy the KV one, but here here's my little rant about Tamiya. Some of their kits are ridiculously expensive when compared to some other ones. Like the yeah. KV one and the Jagdpanzer L70. Those two are like astronomically more expensive than other versions. I I honestly don't understand it. Well, you know what? You know what else? The the S35, the Sumo S35. That's another kit too. Like you cannot get that cheap, and that's a kit that needs a little little photo etch help. But yeah, so their pricing is all over the place. Mean, meanwhile, the new the R35. No, the R35. Yeah, I picked it up at a local hobby shop for less than thirty dollars, and it looks great. Looks great. It's gorgeous. I kind of want to, yeah, I kind of want to, you see that one where it's got the, uh, it's like a T26 turret. That's like the one I really want to do next. Yeah, that, and I got to get the kitten crowd. I don't know. I just growing up watching Saving Private Ryan and seeing the guy. Oh, the yeah. rabbit. Yeah, rabbit. Yeah. Rabbit and Yeah. Chain. Edward Burns on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the movie, you know. Um, yeah, I kind of want to, I kind of wish that was a figure set option they included. You know, instead of the Vermont guys walking sad, hopefully a typhoon doesn't come blow them off the road. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for having me on. It means a lot. I'm glad to John. It's been a long time. Glad we're talking again. My name is Pete Kokla and my page Waffle Rescue Models. I also, I'm also into like World War II era guns. I don't know. I shoot them all the time. And I'm also into rescuing animals. So I think that's kind of where it comes from. And if any of you guys have any questions on anything, feel free to send me a DM. You know, I just want to give a shout out to a couple other modelers if that's cool. Do yeah, it. of course. Scott Demick at uh, Hellcat Scale Modelers. Really good 3D printed stuff. John Murphy, Ben Crawley, Crenzone Scale from Scotland. There's a lot of other guys out there. You guys all all have amazing work. And, you know, just keep on building. I mean, that's that's why they call it plastic crack. <laughs> First hit, you can't stop. <laughs> but thanks again, guys. I appreciate you having me on. Oh, no, the pleasure was all ours. It really was. Yeah, this was great. I do birthday parties in more mitzvahs. <laughs> <laughs> That was fun talking to Pete. We really enjoyed it. And it was pretty apparent that Pete is passionate about the, his scale modeling and really enjoys what he does. I really enjoyed our conversations about scale modeling shows, the newest kits out there, and then also what products are what we're using today uh, to you know really accomplish those great finishes. So with that, Doug, it's time for listener feedback. What does, uh, what does the posse have to say this time around? Well, we got uh, quite a few this week. David Poor. Hey guys, after a bit of a road trip visit to the family in the Midwest to attend this year's Wonderfest in Louisville, I'm back home and catching up on recent episodes. I build for myself, clients, do some CAD design and production of model railroad items for Micromart. He enjoyed our interview with Chris Meddings and he hopes to meet him in person at the Scale Model Challenge Show in the Netherlands in October. Also like the Adam Wilder interview and the Modeler's Minute segments. Devin invites everyone to check out his website, Devin J. Poor. That's Devin, D-E-V-I-N-J-P-O-O-R-E dot com, where he has shared many of his builds, including his favorite, the 148 scale Tamiya F4F Wildcat. Finally, his club, the New Jersey IPMS, is putting on their show, MosquitoCon 29, on July 31st in Wayne, New Jersey. You can check that out at njipms.org. Nazid from Down Under. 
I really love the show. Great work. Mike Rinaldi is such a passionate and engaging speaker that it was a great interview and was so impressed with his take on how the hobby is going to the next level. I agree with his passion, his attention to detail and enthusiasm for the hobby and its fans. All your guests are such interesting speakers and contribute valuable viewpoints. I agree. Andy's workshop has such infectious enthusiasm. I really enjoy his videos. Might be an interesting interview. This is truly an exciting time for the hobby, and you guys are on the vanguard for this change. Keep up the good work. That's from Nazid Kimmy. Well, thank you. Uh, Antonio Grillo messaged us with a suggestion for having a page for all the podcasts and bloggers hosted together. Hmm, that sounds kind of familiar. I think we already mentioned that. So that was pretty timely. Ethan Heidenmill from IPMS San Diego wrote in to say that he disagrees with Mike Rinaldi and John's idea about IPMS shows. Ethan likes traveling to a different city each year for the Nats, and he feels like the IPMS is more for everyday hobbyists and not necessarily for professionals like Mike. He does say it might be a good idea to do something more like the European model shows, as Mike suggested, but just do it outside of IPMS. That way, everyone would get what they wanted. Well, thanks for the feedback, Ethan. Just to let you know, down the line, we plan on having some guests that are running for IPMS offices, and I think that might be a really good topic for that show. Dawood Ransky from Scalehanger182 wants to invite everyone to the new Scalehanger182 YouTube channel. He is partnering with Peter from Scalecat. They also have a Discord channel as well, and they have over 150 modelers in their community so far. They're doing group builds and other fun stuff. He thanks us for the podcast and says he really enjoys it. He also sent us an invite link to the Discord server, which we will post for all the Posse members on the Facebook page and in the show notes. Thanks a lot, Dawood, and uh, good luck with your YouTube channel. Austin Fields wrote in to say he loves the podcast and he shared some of our work with us. Great stuff, Austin. We looked over it and love it. Keep sharing. Thanks so much. Artie Maud thanked us for the hard work and says that they enjoy every episode. Thanks, Artie. Uh, David Goldfinch, the, the godfather. He says, that's it. I'm going to call it. You guys are the kings of interviews. I'm constantly amazed by the caliber of the guests that you have on your show. Well done, guys. Cheers. Thanks, Godfather. Yeah, thank you so much. We've got this one from Chris the Toadman Hughes. Gentlemen, I just started listening to you guys earlier this week and have definitely enjoyed your shows. They've definitely got me looking at all of my shelf queens again, which caused me to clean some spare space off my desk so I could work on one of them. Thanks for the push. No problem, Chris. That's awesome. Thank you, Chris, for that. I really appreciate it. Chris, I also want to give you a shout out. I have known about you for a very long time because of your website and the photographs that you share of vehicles throughout, you know, the country that you visited and museums. So thanks so much. Uh, I'm happy you wrote into us and it's, it's really great to, uh, great to hear from you. Yeah, I agree, John. I got to meet Chris in 2010 when I went out to MVTF and uh, Chris made sure that we got the full tour and looked at all the vehicles and he was just great. So Chris, we're glad you really like our show and appreciate all your work. Like John said. And this one came in just as we started recording tonight. Hey, guys, just wanted to drop a line and say thanks for the great podcast. A buddy turned me on to it about two weeks ago, and, and I blasted through all the episodes while I was bouncing around my skid steer at work. The interviews are always fantastic, and conversations are entertaining. Thanks for the hard work. I'd also like to do a lo local hobby shop shout-out to Who's Hobby in Rapid City, South Dakota. They've been around as long as I've lived here, and they're always friendly and fun to visit. That's from Josh Orr. Thank you, Josh. Thank you so much. All right, let's talk about social media shout-outs. What's new this week, guys? 
Yeah, so I'll take the first one. It's the YouTube channel uh, shout out for, I believe it's Grunjulina Craft Workshop. I recently discovered them through a posting on Facebook. It's a Asian modeler that does a lot of work recently on the new Tamiya Kettenkrad and really great videos on how to paint figures with acrylics and then also how to paint the Kettenkrad as well. So I've been watching all of them several times to hopefully paint my figures half as good as his. For Facebook, I have a sci-fi channel I wanted to talk about or a page. It's called Cosmic Scale Models. Cosmic is spelled C-O-Z-M-I-C. You can find them on Facebook as Cosmods, C-O-Z-M-O-D-S. These guys do 3D printed resin models of some Battlestar Galactica models and some uh, vehicles, uh, some pilot figures, as well as other subjects as well. Some really cool sci-fi stuff. So check out their work. They're they're in the UK. Um, I did an order with them a couple months ago, and I got my my uh, models from them very very quickly. Everything was in great shape, and the kit quality is excellent. Just placed another order with them. So check them out. Cosmic scale models. All right, and my um, social media shout out is over on Instagram, and it's uh, Scale Panzer. That's Scale underscore Panzer. Um, they're a, a German modeler that does mainly World War II mainly German. I just happened to be cruising around um, Instagram the other day and I think I started following him and does some pretty good work. You know, I think as everyone knows, I'm not the biggest fan of, of German armor personally for like what I like to build, but I do appreciate, you know, all well good, all well done models. And he was doing some pretty good work. He's got, um, I don't know what, the, I think this is a, a Panther he started working on. It's like loaded with uh photo etch, which I always like. Um, and he's does some pretty good figure work too. He, I think he did uh I don't know what that is. Is that a Panzer 38T or something like that? I, I don't know. They all look the same to me. <laughs> he did one. It's got some crew standing around. It turned out pretty good. Um, so, yeah, if you're uh, over on uh, Instagram, go check him out. Scale underscore Panzer. For the wild card, uh, we're going to go ahead and plug Mike Rinaldi again and his YouTube channel, uh, which so far has, he's done three live streams, mostly fo- focusing on oil paint rendering. You can go back and watch the live streams after he's done. He uploads them. And uh, they're, they're, I mean, Mike, to anyone that's listened to the show, is endlessly entertaining. And he's no different when he's live streaming than when he's talking uh, with us or any other you know, podcast. I think his last video, he kind of tied in, tied it in with Tank Art 4, which is the second German book. Uh, that's one I don't actually have, and I, I need to get it. So I think he mentioned it when he was doing, when he was on our um, podcast last time. So, He'll do the lesson, lack of a better term, and it'll kind of tie in with a, a chapter or a couple pages in the book. So if you have the book, you can look at the book and then he'll show you what he's doing. So, yeah, it, I've watched a couple of them. I could not watch the last one because I was at work and I didn't get a chance. So I need to go back and watch the stream. But I've watched, I think, most of the first two live. They're they're fun. They're entertaining. You know, There's a gr- good group of guys that are hanging out in the chat and he interacts with everyone and he's Mike. So. You know, you're always in for a good time. Yeah, those are really good. I hopped on the first couple of them. I missed the missed the last one, but Mike's doing a great job. Yeah, the first video, he had some bugs to work out, but those videos are really good. And you get a camera right up close and personal as he's actually putting the oil paint on the model. And uh, it's good stuff. So definitely check it out. Um, and he's he's planning on more videos in the future. Thanks for that, Scott and TJ. You know, I'll add those links to our Facebook page when this episode drops so all of our listeners can have a happy click and 
uh, follow, like, and subscribe to all the people that we just mentioned. With that, it brings us to really our main discussion topic for today. I wanted to take some time and really talk about what drives us in our hobby and specifically where do we find joy in it. Each modeler is passionate about one of many aspects of building models, and, and this hobby can be very rewarding. Uh, you know, we talk each episode about growing the online community that is all around scale modeling. And it doesn't take long to see that there is about a million different ways each of us have an approach to that. There are literally no wrong ways to do this hobby. As long as you're having fun, it doesn't matter otherwise. And, you know, maybe I can start this segment off of talking about a specific aspect of the hobby that I really get engrossed in. I have fun and it really brings me joy. Uh, you know, I talk about slammer builds a lot. But sometimes I really just got to sink myself into a topic. And it really comes down to every year, I like to find an historical photograph that can be inspiring, that can draw emotion, that can draw attention to detail, that can draw, you know, even questions more importantly. And when I find that photograph, that's what I go after. You know, I'll use the example. There's a Mark V tank that was built by the British employed and then given to the Russians, I believe. It was captured at Smolensk by the Germans and then put on display in Berlin. And I always kind of knew about the vehicles. They were outside. I believe it was the Reichstag and, if, and there was another location. Um, but recently I stumbled upon a color picture. And at that moment, it completely clicked. And I was like, I need to build this vehicle. So I really engrossed myself in the topic, in the engineering behind the vehicle, and some of the personal stories behind the vehicle as well. There's a Butepanzer website that talks about all of the captured vehicles the Germans had and kind of sometimes gives a personal story. And for this one, it noted an instant where an Allied flyer had been shot down over Germany, captured, put in the vehicle, and paraded around Germany. And it gives him this, it gives this personal story he talks about in, in the vehicle. And and I just found it so fascinating. And it was part of this hobby. So I took what I learned and really put it towards the kit. And I tried to my best effort to faithfully represent that vehicle in scale form. And, you know, at the end of it, it was a really big sense of accomplishment. And, and for that moment, I, I felt, and maybe to this day still, I'm one of the people that could be considered an expert in that vehicle, its vehicle's history, and that unique story that lives on in the hobby. You know, I talk about slammer builds a lot, but sometimes I just love to really get engrossed in a topic. It brings me joy. It, it, you almost feel like Indiana Jones a little bit, uncovering some history, um, learning something you haven't before, and then recreating it in scale that you can share with others. And, and that was the other aspect where, you know, I start posting it online. I wrote an article about it and really drove a discussion behind, you know, what this vehicle is and its unique history and, and connected with people that I had never met before. So again, it was all about, you know, finding a topic, finding that fun and, and driving community engagement. And, and that's what I really enjoyed about that project and more importantly, the hobby itself. And, you know, with that, that that's what really is an example I can use that I find joy in the hobby through that, that deep research, that accurate recreation of that vehicle. Uh, and with that, I'd, I'd love to hear your guys' perspective on maybe it's a specific project, a specific aspect of the hobby that brings you joy um, and a sense of accomplishment for that matter. And, you know, maybe I'll kick it over to you, Doug, and you can, you can take the ball from here. All right. Um, what I've been thinking about here is actually less about the building side and more about the sharing. And I'll use a couple examples. I've got a three-year-old grandson who he's been in my model room dozens of times and he knows not to touch. Usually I was able to pick up a cheap little 
slapped together pre-painted P-51 Mustang for him. And we got that thing together. And honestly, the worst model kit ever designed. I mean, I don't even know what they were thinking. I mean, things just didn't fit. I ended up taping the fuselage together because the kid just didn't care. But, oh my gosh, he flies that all over the house and he's having a blast with it. And uh, so so that part, that was really fun. And then I'll, I'll bleed into my son, who's 28, but he brought over to start working on, because I have the, the space in the desk and the, and the uh, airbrush, he brought over a Warhammer uh, kit. It's Archaon, the ever-chosen. Let's see, he is the exalted Grand Marshal of the Apocalypse. It's a silly name. I mean, it's it's crazy. This kit's big and it's really detailed. Big winged dragon thing with multiple tails and multiple heads. And and my son's really kind of excited about it. And he's never been a, a person to pay attention to detail. But I get to take the time to walk him through and help him prime a model, which he's never really done before. And then we're gonna we're gonna be following a lot of videos. I've got him hooked up to a lot of YouTube channels to start looking at techniques so he can learn to, to paint this right because he wants it to be a showpiece when he goes to games and, and plays. So that's a lot of fun. And I just, it's just one of those things I've, I've been known to hand uh, neighbor kids a model from time to time, just say, Hey, here, you know, especially if, if they are sick or something, I'll hand out a kit and say, you know, go, go work on this. I'll show their dad, give their dad a tool to, to help them out with maybe some sprue cutters or something while they, while they build it. I just love sharing it. What about you, Scott? I think for me, what I love the most about the hobby is learning, learning about a subject, maybe a little bit like what John said, or learning how other modelers approach their own models and kind of learning from the way they finish. I really, really enjoy that. Also, as it applies to learning a specific technique, I love the idea of sort of, you know, I I felt like in the past that our hobby has been a little bit segmented, you know, armor finishing techniques, you use those on armor, but not on aircraft. And the way that you paint a Warhammer figure is the way you paint a Warhammer figure. And you don't do the same thing on an armor, you know, an armor figure, a GI or whatever. And I love it when I can learn a specific technique and we can use some of these techniques on other, other genres. You know, we can throw some armor, you know, modeling techniques, some washes and some mud on the underside of a Spitfire, where in the, in the past, maybe we wouldn't have been want to do that. Learning about other modelers, seeing Doug and John and TJ, seeing your work every time. I see one of your models that inspires me and I, I, I learn about what you're doing and how you're doing it. And I just, I love absorbing that and soaking it in. And, and just, that just to me is by far the most intriguing part of scale modeling. TJ, what about you? All right. I'm going to go with the biggest cheese ball answer of them all and say, literally everything brings me joy in this hobby. I was telling you guys a, a short story before we started recording about the superintendent uh, for the general contractor for the job I'm working on. And I've, as he's gotten to know me, I've peeled back the layers like Shrek um, as, as <laughs> the joke he made the other day when we were, we were, uh, you know, BSing around and I'm telling him about, you know, model building. The, I just kind of like Doug, I just, I, he's laughing, not necessarily at me, just because like, here I am like a, <laughs> you know, construction worker with tattoos all over his arms. I'm like, oh yeah, you know what? I build plastic models when I'm not at, when I'm not, you know, putting 24 inch pipe in. And he was just like, oh my, oh my God. It's like, that is, I just didn't see that coming. But it, like he, I think you could tell like how much I enjoy what I do and t- 
telling him about it. And, and today, you know, we were talking again in his in his office at the end of the day when I was just kind of, you know, riding the time out. You know, he's looking up models on on Amazon like, oh, you know, I, I, I mean, I guess I could get one of these. I'm like, yes, yes. Like, do it, man. Like, do it. And like, I just that I like that. And you know, I just like I just like coming down to my bench and just sitting down and building a model like it just makes me happy because I, I take I take what I do serious but not too much. Like I, I take it seriously. I want to get better at it. But at the same time, I'm like, it's still, still essentially a toy, right? Like that's, that's what they're, these are grown up toys and that's okay. And like, and I love that. And, and, you know, talking to you guys makes me happy and seeing everyone's work makes me happy. And just like I've, I've said, you know, I'll watch a, a model video on anyone. I don't care how good of a modeler you are. I don't care if you're the worst modeler on the planet. If, if you're enjoying what you're doing, I'm going to, I'm going to be entertained by that. And I will watch that and appreciate it. And, get value out of it because I like seeing people do the things they like to do. And if that's modeling, like I I'm full on like 100% behind that. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. That's probably the cheesiest answer ever. Like, Oh, it's everything, but it kind of really is like, this is the best hobby I've ever, ever had. It probably ever will. No, I, I completely agree. And maybe we can, you know, hit on the subject that you kind of brought up. There was, you know, sharing it with people and specifically people outside the hobby who have no Con, you know, really no concept of what we're doing. You know, they immediately think, oh, little toys. Like for instance, you know, I just had my realtor in my house and we're surveying the house and she's like, oh, what are these things? And I'm like, I, you know, oh, I build skill models. And she's like, you build these? And she looks over and sees my desk with all my paints. She's like, oh my gosh. And you know, what's important I think is once people see you know, the level of passion and pride you take in the work, it's infectious in that. I have yet to meet someone that I have told honestly about how great this hobby is that has, I don't know if disrespected it or laughed it off in a sense when that's been told. They always, they always kind of appreciate it. And maybe there's, maybe there's a little bit of, man, that is, they're, they're kind of envious of it sometimes, I think I get. When I talk to people and like, well, what, what are your hobbies? Oh, you know, I don't, I don't really know. I, and then I talk about, you know, how I'm never bored from this hobby. I mean, I'm literally, I have no boredom in my life because of scale model. You know, another anecdote I'll, I'll throw out. I, I met a coworker. He does medieval kind of recreations and goes to these two week long festivals and recreates the, the way they acted back in the 1600s. But it was that level of passion same level as we do as modelers. And I could see that. And we could immediately connect outside of work into something personal that we both take passion in. So there was a great understanding between hobbies. Scott, I don't know if you've experienced that as well. Yeah, I think that's it. And, you know, that's been something that I've noticed as we've spoken with all these guests from different genres, like Enrique's passion for breaking down the barriers between wargaming miniatures and traditional armor modeling as far as weathering goes. And six-year-old John Bias, we can never forget six-year-old John Bias <laughs> and his approach to the hobby and how much joy that it brings John and Lincoln Wright and his infectious passion for the hobby and Mike's passion for his books and for teaching other people what he does. And I think as long as we continue to enjoy that passion and keep that in mind, it's going to be something that will be rewarding for all of us. And hopefully, you know, we don't take it so serious. You know, we're building just to compete and we start putting pressure on ourselves and kind of take the fun away from the hobby because I just, I get so much relaxation and take so much, you know, joy. We keep talking about that word joy in, in doing this as a hobby. 
I had a guy on Facebook, an old high school friend, who when I first started sharing pictures of models I worked on, I put shared a couple of Star Wars pics, and he would put nerd in big letters. I mean, he was just screwing <laughs> around. But what's funny is as I went on, eventually he just started complimenting what I did because because he I'm sure he saw that they improved as I went along, but also he he realized it wasn't so nerdy anymore, especially since I I always compliment his fish that he catches, and I'm a little jealous of that too. But <laughs> it's pretty great. It's a fun hobby, and and I think more people are open to it than we than we know. Yeah, that's. I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think there's a common misconception about that um, because once you share it, people. When I talk to them, a lot of them get it, and they can you know they they see how joyful it is, and they're like, man. I need something like that. So I'm- yeah, um, I mean, like this, these same guys at work, the, the superintendent Nate, and then there's the assistant superintendent Connor. He, he, they're both young guys. Uh, Nate, I think is your age, uh, John, and, and Connor is even younger. I think he's like 28, 29, something like that. They kind of laughed when I was like, "Oh no, I build, I build models," and they think like, you know, I don't even know what they think, but I'm like, no, like, like model tanks, like vehicles. And I show them pictures, and they're like, "You built that?" And they're like, "Yeah, dude." And they're like, "It's awesome." Then I told him about the podcast and then they, they, they thought I was joking. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm serious. Like I'm on a podcast and they're like, well, what do you talk about? I'm like models. <laughs> Wait, hold on. You and like other people talk about models. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's awesome. You should listen to it. <laughs> and, and Con- the, the, uh, one guy Connor did, he, he listened to it on his way home. And the, the next day when he, <laughs> I was, uh, I was talking to someone else. He, he, he like walked up to me. He's like, Hey, I listened to your podcast last night on my way home. It was really good. He's like, <laughs> I'm super into this. I have no clue what you were talking about, but I'm super into it. And, and he was like, what's tank craft exactly. I'm like, Oh, Oh, that's our sponsor. They make mats. I'm like, that's pretty cool. Right. And he's like, yeah, he's like, that is pretty cool. I'm, I'm super interested in this. I'm like, yeah, start building models, man. I had a very similar story where I, I don't know how I have my background uh, on my laptop as a scale model. I built, it's actually, I like to keep it there now because if I'm going to share a presentation in at work, you know, it's usually up and then it always draws conversations like, whoa, what's that? And I'm like, oh, that's a model I built. They're like, you built that? And it's and it's not a way to brag or anything. It's just to kind of make people aware of the hobby um, because there's, you know, sometimes there's a connection where I met somebody as a coworker and they're like, oh yeah, I built models too. I go over his house and it's like, holy crap, you have Tiger, you know, 331. That's uber, you know, hard to get. And like we connect and it's, you know, we have a good time. And then going back, you know, I had a very similar instance with TJ where my coworker never understood scale modeling, never been you know, like exposed to it. And then he's like, you have a podcast? I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, same thing, literally carbon copy the conversation comes back and there's this appreciation for it. And you could tell that, wow, like that's pretty cool, man. So maybe he's putting on a front. I don't know. I thought it was genuine. And I would just like to echo TJ's comments in that regard. So I kind of want to touch back on on something else that I can't remember which one of us mentioned it. It might have been you, Scott, about, you know, there's no wrong way to do this hobby. And there really isn't. Like, that's that's kind of the beauty of the hobby. And like, if, if some people get enjoy beating themselves up and digging into the minutia and finding every little tiny thing, and that's cool. Like, if you're into that, you know, we, we, give, <laughs> we give Zach a hard time because, well, at least I do, because that's seems what he likes to do. I'm like, dude, you like really stress out about this, <laughs> but he's like, this is what I like. And I'm, okay. Man, fair enough, man. I'm like, I'm just saying you sound kind of stressed. Like it's just a model dude. But in, in the same breath, like, you know, if you just want to build 
random stuff and just build it for fun. I'm like, that's equally valuable. Like there's, that's, that's no different than what Micronaldi does or Adam Wilder does just because they're doing it at one level. Every other level is equally as valid. And if that's what you enjoy doing, there's nothing wrong with that. that that's the beauty of this. It's, it's the spectrum or you can treat this like fine art if you want, or you can treat it for, you know, it's the end of the day. I'm going to crack open a beer and go sit down on my bench and build a, a tank and just put it in my shelf. No one's ever going to see it. And it's just going to be something I do because I like it. Yeah, I think that's important. And, and, you know, just to add to that, there's no wrong way to do this either. I mean, we all, you know, the the common phrase, different strokes for different folks is is prime for this hobby where, you know, some of us love Tamiya, some of us love MMP, some of us love Gunze. I mean, there's no option. There's no bad option. If it works for you, that's fine. And dare I say, if you love future, who am I to say otherwise? If it works and you're enjoying it, go for it. Seriously, I could care less what you're using. And and if it works for you, if it's delivering the results that you want, if you're proud of what you're making, no one is to tell you different. And, you know, with this, I'd love to engage the community. If you have a story, uh, if you have a joy in the hobby specifically, please share it. What does this hobby bring joy for you? What makes you happy about it? And then also, if you have a story where you've shared it with someone that hasn't been in the hobby, and I'd love to hear their reaction and, and understand, you know, where the conversation went from there. Now it's time for our main interview. It's the main event with James Can of LPJ Models. James has a fantastic YouTube channel where he showcases his great work. If you haven't given it a look yet, make sure to check it out. In the meantime, enjoy our visit with James. Welcome to another Plastic Posse podcast interview. Joining TJ, John, and yours truly today from the UK, we have James Can, aka LPJ Models on YouTube and social media. James, welcome to the show. Hey guys, it's awesome to be here. I never expected to be on a podcast, to be honest. So it's a, you know, it's a bit weird, but <laughs> I'm quite excited. For those of you out there that might not be familiar with James, his LB, LPJ Models channel is one of our favorites on YouTube. His videos are well edited, beautifully shot. He has a great sense of humor and his conversational style of explaining his techniques and processes is really easy to follow. LPJ Models has 24,000 subs and over 1 million channel views. This TACOM Panzer One video has well over 100,000 views. And he recently began a Patreon channel of which I am a proud member. So did I get all that right, James? Yeah, yeah, that's all spot on. LPJ is also on Facebook, Instagram, and he has a Discord channel. And he also seems to have the time to build amazing models of aircraft, armor, and even paint some figures. James, you are certainly a man about town when it comes to your hobbies. Thank you very much. I've got a, a fair bit of drive, <laughs> which, um, you know, considering I work as well, I'm surprised I squeeze it all in, to be honest. Well, let's just start off with a little bit about who James Can is. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, I'm... Probably in the younger scale of modelers, I'm not that young, I'm about, I'm, I'm 31. So I started when I was a kid, my dad introduced me to modeling. I remember this, this crazy, you know, like when you're a kid and you have these um, crazy ideas. We were walking to town once and my dad said to me, oh, I really need to get you into these airfix kits. And my like seven-year-old brain was, 
was exploding at the fact that there's these kits and they're filled with air. It was nothing to do with the actual <laughs> actual building or anything like that. It was just that these things were filled with air. <laughs> that was my earliest memory. And we used to go on these caravan holidays. This one time, my dad bought a Airfix Harrier in 172nd. And we sat and built that together, you know, in, in the caravan. And that started started everything off, really. I think video games brought me back into it as I was a teen. I was a bit obsessed with the Kuba Wagon. It was um, just that quirky vehicle and, and the, the blend with that being in the Second World War as well. It was inspiring. Of course, when you get to your teenage years, I, I did a bit. I was a member of Armor Armor. I used to love World War II Modelmaker.com before that evaporated. I used to spend my school lessons just browsing this website and being inspired by all these builds and all the techniques. And it was just amazing. That's an old school name. I haven't heard a yeah, lot. for sure. It's been a long time. Yeah, it was around 2006, I think I was looking at it. Maybe a bit earlier. Yeah. Um, but it just dropped off the radar at some point, and I don't know what happened to it. Yeah, I don't know either, but they had a really, really great forum, great gallery section. I still remember like visually what the page looked like, and it's all gone now, just disappeared. Yeah, it was all these you know, old school 800 by 600. I suppose that was high resolution back then. <laughs> <laughs> Pixelated models, and you know, to my, to my teenage brain, it was like, whoa, these are awesome. I want to do that. Yeah, and, and that followed with like loads of research, and I, I I had no way of getting an airbrush, but I researched everything about it, <laughs> as, as you do. Then I suppose guitars and girls and college and work came along, and things went by the wayside. And about four years ago, I got back into modelling. Well, actually, it started because I started work in a art shop, which was really cool. I did a bit of painting really badly. I started working at this place, and they had airbrushes in the counter just like, you know, sectioned away so you, you can get your grubby hands on them. I was like, <laughs> ooh, I know what they're for. <laughs> and one Christmas I picked up a Airfix Gladiator, built that, and I got the bug back. And here I am a few years later talking to you guys. <laughs> the Gladiator was the one that did it, uh, brought you back to the hobby, huh? It is. And it was a hard kit for somebody coming back in with struts and, you know, tiny pieces and it's frustrating, but it got me back in. Well, tell us about uh, LPJ models. Where does the name come from? Uh, back in the day, I was given a... Well, I wasn't given. I saved up and had a part Christmas present of uh, Epiphone Les Paul. LP, LP James. And I don't have the original... Well, I didn't have the original thought to come up with something model creative. So <laughs> I just stuck with LPJ and ran with it. You still have it? No. <laughs> I, I wish I did because it was really nice. It was yeah. um, it was the Black Beauty with the three 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 pickups. Yeah, three pickups. Oh, very nice. You know, I know it's an Epiphone, which isn't. It, it was still a really quality instrument, and I, I yeah. wish I, I wish I kept it. So, who are some of your favorite bands and guitarists? Uh, who inspired you uh, to play the guitar? It all started surprisingly with Brian May. Oh, okay. I, I was I was really into Queen. I mean, their music's pretty good, but I've moved away from them now. It was Brian May and Queen, and then. Then I discovered a little band called Iron Maiden. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that changed everything. You know, I started moving through the, the big four, um, the fresh bands, loads of classic rock artists, you know. I was really big into Metallica for a little while, and it moved on to more virtuoso styles like Paul Gilbert and, um, you know, Steve Vai. Joe Bonamassa. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic guitarist. Joe Satriani. Yes. Eric Johnson. Yeah. I used to play lots of different genres. I'm always of the mindset that you can't pigeonhole. 
yeah. if, if you really want to absorb the instrument and get the vibes and the feel and really, really master it, you've got to be open to everything else. Well, uh, before I uh, move over to TJ and let him ask you some questions, as a guitar player, you've obviously got to listen to music while you're modeling. I do. And at the minute, it's a bit eclectic. Faith No More is massively on the list at the moment, or from the from the old stuff all the way to the new stuff. I just think Mike Patton is a tremendous vocalist. Yeah. And then going into some more meaty black metal, behemoth, Gajira, and then a bit more wacky with things like System of a Down on the Faith No More vibe, um, Mr. Bungle. I mean, I like all sorts of music, and I, I don't listen as much as I should. I got a ton of CDs in the car. You know, music's sort of my driving thing. That's quite a list. That's 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 some good stuff there. I've been recently uh, diving into Opeth. I've never really listened to them before, but I really really like in their music. They're, yeah, they're they're really technical and they produce some really interesting stuff. And that's the, that's the thing I think I'm drawn to is that it's the more more interesting things like you know, I don't know the progressive stuff. I I forgot to mention Pink Floyd. They were a massive influence. Dave Gilmour's oh, playing is just. Uh, it's just on point, the emotion and the feel from just a few notes as opposed to shredding it up the neck. He uh, probably has the world's most recognizable guitar solo from Comfortably Numb. Just yeah. amazing. <laughs> Obviously, you're here to talk models, so let's. Uh, I could do this all day with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm enjoying this. This is fun. <laughs> <laughs> Let me move over to TJ and uh, have him ask you some questions. Okay. So you had joined YouTube pretty early on, around 2009, correct? I did. Uh, so when did you first launch LPGA Models as the channel as it is now? Well, to start with, on YouTube, it was videos of my dog, random adventures, you know, as you do. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, um, when was it? September 2018 is was when I started YouTube. Before that, I'd written for a few publications, and it was okay, but just trying to squeeze blood out of a stone sometimes with the payments. And I thought, I'm just going to just gonna run with it myself and see what I can do. That's crazy. JB's got a mansion from the published work he's done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can see everything around me built, you know, built and paid for by modeling articles. Uh, <laughs> so my first proper YouTube build was the 148S FX Hunter, Hawker Hunter. And that was just as it came out, which was probably quite good timing. I did a few crabby tutorial videos to start with. So I ran in with this hunter and quickly found that filming and editing on a phone is a bit trickier than it looks. So at the moment, I'm actually saving up for a, a PC so I can edit properly. Once I've got the PC sorted, I'm going to get a camera and hopefully the production values will go up. I know they're not bad at the minute, but there's always room to improve. And that's something that I like to think I've done with my YouTube channel. So I think improvement and growth is really important and it's getting stuck in a rut can be detrimental. You know, looking at your at your videos and, you know, I've watched all of them. I'm a big fan. I cannot believe you've accomplished all that on a phone. That is impressive. Oh, thank you. It's, uh, it's definitely tedious, but... Um... <laughs> yeah, I'm shocked. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, when I saw, I think you posted something in SMCG asking about recommendations for a camera you're like oh yeah because i'm shooting everything on my phone i was like what like are you serious like this does not look like phone videos <laughs> not that i know like i'm some sort of video expert because i'm not but i was just like wow okay yeah it was um it was just built out in necessity to be honest because i haven't had a computer since the mid to mid to late 2000s which i know they're essential these days really and that's why i need to get one but i just thought i'm just gonna try and try and do this thing on my phone and see how far i get and to start with, you know, the, the, 
I wasn't locking the autofocus and things were getting blurry. The music was a collaboration between me and my friend and it was it was questionable quality but I was having fun with it the main negative comments that I got at the start were to do with the music so I quickly after being a bit indignant and you know oh, I'm not going to change my music <laughs> you know I, I thought the best idea would be to go uh, get um, some stock music so I just went onto Epidemic Sound got an account and that sort of rounded off the whole package I, I kind of like the, the epic fantasy vibe that the music brings it doesn't really fit amazingly but it sort of ties in with the vision that I had. So we're pretty big fans of social media content creators, kind of like why we highlight them on our podcast. And we always look at people that we are inspired by or interested in. So on the social media side of things, so who is someone you are inspired by? That's a, a very tricky question. <laughs> there, there, there are so many people out there who produce amazing content. What I tend to do is I tend to cherry pick a little bit from person A and person B and try and incorporate that with my work. There's a lot of smaller YouTubers that, that inspire me because of the work they're doing and building the community. I think that's one of the things that inspires me the most, is how these how these YouTubers are building a community. I mean, there's there's a fairly small channel of a chap who I know, and that's called the channel's called Model Minutes, and he's built up a massive community. And it's just absolutely fantastic how he's done that. Modeling inspiration, I, I don't want to wear the, wear the track thin, but... Um, Night shift's pretty pretty good, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, all just right. a little I mean, bit. Just, yeah. We're legally required to mention him in every episode. <laughs> in every segment. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the man- mandatory Metallica from the from the eighties and nineties. Yeah. <laughs> I mean he's um he does he does amazing work. Scott Pachishnik of um Small Soldier, his figure work is amazing. And you know how he works with oils is is so impressive. Scaloton, I'm a big fan of Scaloton. You know, his, his oh, videos yeah. are fun. Yep. I especially like his soundtrack as well. <laughs> That's quite fun. Um, but he does some amazing ship modeling. Ships is something that I've started to breach into a little bit, but it's just fitting that in amongst everything else, to be honest. So he's good for, for that sort of inspiration. Of course, Plasmo, you know, big names again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, David's work is... Um, he was the first YouTuber I discovered to do a scale modeling. And I was like, whoa. That's cool. <laughs> you know, I, I want to say he was the first guy that really did an in-depth video that I saw. That I The 172nd scale KV-2 he did that's going down into the river. I want to say that was the first one I ever saw. It was a great, great little video. That's an awesome build, especially in, yeah. the, in the scale it's in. You'd think it was bigger. Yeah. I mean, for that build too, in that video for that instance, you know, if, if there was ever a viral moment in scale modeling, I would point to that video because it has, I think, over two or three million views. It's absolutely insane. Um, what always blew my mind is he used 172nd scale leaves from trees on his tank. I mean, it's like, okay, that's next level, guys. I think one one of the things he's done as well is bring the hobby to a lot of people who wouldn't even think about doing it. You know, he's he had that the first entertainment factor because it wasn't just instructional. It was a, you know, the evolution of the build from the sprue to the finished product and it was easy to watch and well explained and it came together really well. It was just very inspiring and very exciting to somebody who was thinking about doing a YouTube channel. <laughs> so kind of staying on social media platforms is there a particular one i guess other than youtube that you prefer so i'm personally a big fan of instagram that's my absolute favorite i'll i'll, I'll agree with you on that one I, I like instagram a lot and i use it a lot less than i should 
but the, the 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 delivery of image over text is just ideal for this hobby you know you know it's perfect you can just scroll through reels and reels of pictures of fantastic models tapping that little heart button as you go down because they're all so good but i use facebook more because of the i find it easier to communicate on facebook although it's a lot easier to get down rabbit holes and there's a bit more bickering and you know gatekeeping and that sort of thing on there which is i suppose it's the the downside instagram's more content now brilliant but there's a lot more wheeling out the rubbish when it comes to facebook and i won't touch tiktok with a barge pole (laughs) (laughs) there is modeling tiktok though that is a thing i I, i've heard in the previous episodes yeah i just can't bring myself to it's like (laughs) it makes me feel pain I don't know, I'm, just, I'm just grumpy. That's what it is. It's just <laughs> grumpy and ignorant. <laughs> so you also have a Discord channel, correct? I do. That's recently released. Yeah, tell us a little about a little bit about that. So a few other channels had started running Discords, and I was members, and I was like, "This is pretty cool." But uh, being a bit of a technophobe, I was a bit reluctant to start one. I actually had the Discord set up for three months with just me on it. <laughs> It was a pretty lonely place. Before I decided to actually launch it, I got the confidence and thought, you know what? If people want to join, they will join. So I started it up. And in the space of a few weeks, we got about 150 150 members. And I was like, whoa, I I didn't expect it. And, you know, people are joining all the time. It's it's a pretty interesting format to communicate with. It's it's obviously geared usually more towards younger people who've come come over to it from gaming and things. But the, the community is building up. We're running, actually at the minute, we're running a group build that finishes in in August at some point, which is pretty cool. I never thought I'd run a group build. But effectively, the Discord, for those of you who don't know, is a bit like an online chat room. So you join, you can share photos, you can chat. There are voice channels, so you can voice chat or even live stream if you want. And it was a bit of a revelation because you can communicate very quickly it's like it's a bit like a blend of facebook and instagram but without the gumph yeah yeah i i'm in a couple discord channels and kind of feel bad that i kind of slept on it a little bit because it is very it's like that's i couldn't really pick like pick pick it out but it's like a chat room it reminds me of the aol chat rooms from the early 2000s as i'm dating myself here (laughs) yeah that's a that's yeah it's kind of like a chat room slash almost like a forum which hardly anyone uses it anymore either no no it's, it's it's hard to pin it down but it has been really useful and the amount of people that have joined and like the support and the community that's built up has been quite surprising to be honest i didn't expect many people to join at all but they turned up so something must be going all right <laughs> so what's the what does the future for lpga models look like on youtube where do you see yourself evolving to or getting to is there do you have a, a like a, a plan or just kind of like me and just kind of wing it that's what i do with everything so i'm a bit of a winger to be honest my ultimate goal would be and it's a bit of a dream to be honest is to get to that 100k uh, i don't know what will happen then but that's my that's my big goal i'm, I'm marking it out in the milestones 25 50 75 and then to get to 100 would be absolutely amazing i don't know if it'll happen but it'd be very nice content wise i'm really hoping to improve my content with this computer that I'll be getting soon. Hopefully, I'll be able to edit quicker 
and to a higher standard. Not that I've been doing a bad job on the phone, but I just want to refine and, you know, hone the process a bit more so it does look and feel more professional. That would be a really nice thing to to be able to do. So for when you're editing on your phone, what is like, how, how long does it, is it, I don't know anything about video editing. Let me preface this. So how long does it take to make one, to produce one of your videos? I'm extremely curious on that because I don't think I've asked anyone that question. So when I'm editing, I will, the first process, get your footage, put it in a folder as you would. It's good to be organized. I didn't do that at the start and it was a mess. That gets dragged and dropped into the timeline. And that takes, I, I usually have about three hours of footage that I need to condense down to 20 minutes. Large process of the chopping and the changing and you know, removing all the rubbish, any camera wobble. I mean, some of that still gets through, but so I've just got this um, cheap camera arm and it does wobble, the desk wobbles. Okay, so once I've dragged and dropped all the footage into the video editor, it needs to be all trimmed down, tidied up. Then comes annotations. I know you've asked how long it's going to take, but I'm going through the, the lengthy, arduous process of explaining it all for your pleasure. No, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's what I want to know. The annotations go up and it's really hard to pinch a tiny bit of text into a very tiny corner of the screen and make it all look the same size then comes the voiceover and the music i try to edit the footage as i go it doesn't always happen but it's good to you know do a few hours of filming then the next morning i'll sit down and try and condense that all up so i don't have to do it in one big block but that process can take if it's a short video and i'm on a roll it can take one to two hours if i'm not on a roll then it can take upwards of four if i'm being particularly procrastinating which i'm really good at <laughs> <laughs> The whole, the voiceover, I try and do in one or two evenings. So in all, I reckon on top of the build, it probably takes me about six hours plus to get a video from my workbench to you. That's impressive. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of screen time. Yeah, it is. Man, that's a, that sounds pretty labor intensive. <laughs> yeah, it is. Especially when you've got like a 45 minute video. Those are the ones I dread. I mean, I, I love getting them out there because they're just packed full of content. But having to sort that voiceover out, I, I used to work from a script. I found that was really useful at the start, but it took me so long to write the script that now I just try and explain what I'm doing and chime in with some hopefully helpful and useful information as I'm going along. You know, I've got to the point where I'm comfortable with saying what paint I'm using and, and that sort of thing and what te technique I'm using. But it is pretty, it's pretty labor intensive. Weekly videos is something I've done recently with this Messerschmitt series that I've done. Which is really good, by the way. I, was, I want to throw that out there. Thank you. I appreciate, I really, I appreciate I it. I really enjoy that. I'm not the biggest fan of Luftwaffe stuff in general, but I like good videos and good paint jobs, so I'm happily following along with that. Oh, I appreciate it. I had a bit of trouble with uh, some paint splatter, but for the most part, it came out really nicely, and I was really happy with the result. Yeah, that, that particular camouflage job, that, that African scheme, that's probably the best example yeah. of that I've seen. It's really terrific. Oh, thanks. It's, it's great because when I started back in the hobby, I tried to do the, the Tamiya boxing with the Africa scheme, a famous E7 kit, I think. I did all the paintwork, and it was nice. And then I went and put Humbrol Clear on it. And it sort of, when I came to doing a wash, it all melted away and ruined everything. And it was gutting. And I made the mistake several times. I did not learn not to use this product. And I kept doing it over and over until I thought, oh, it must be the varnish. <laughs> <laughs> I, had, I had a thought. I'm, I'm, I'm very floaty with my thoughts. Like they just go off in one direction and I completely forget what I'm talking about, <laughs> as you've probably realized. It's probably why it takes me so long to do a voiceover for a video. <laughs> Paints. 
paints, MRP. Um, yeah, I, 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 I use mission models. I used to use mission models lots. I've got loads of them, and they really fit my painting style for a time. Um, I was just using water-based acrylics. I wasn't too fussed about the system with the poly and everything. I started with just using water, and then, and then I picked up the thinners and the polyurethane mixative, and it just started working for me. I could get fine lines where I would struggle getting that with Vallejo. And I was able to hone the black basin technique that I learned off the off Dukes' blog. You, you know, that really spoke to me. So I started doing the black basing and building that up, and it looked really awesome. But then I discovered lacquers, and that's when I started to get more into paint effects and things and thin layers as opposed to just hosing it on. I mean, that, that was a revelation. Thin layers and lacquers, and you don't lose any detail. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, it lays down so smooth and... You build opacity. You have so much control. I know some people don't like MRP because you've got to build the opacity, you know, little by little. But it does give you a lot of <laughs> it does give you a lot of flexibility to play around with it when you're doing it that way. It does, and it, it is a. I mean, AK Real Colors cover a hell of a lot better, and I really like those as well. Yeah, that they are. I think they're my two favorite paints at the moment: MRP and AK Real Colors. Thinned with Mr. Leveling Thinner, of course. Unicorn Tears? Yes, yes. Unicorn Tears. <laughs> it yeah. certainly is. And moving on to lacquers was a bit of a revelation. I mean, start off with a layer of Mr. Surfacer thinned with Mr. Leveling Thinner. And what I've started doing lately as well is misting over a layer of MLT over the top just to re-smooth everything down. And that, that was like, that was magic. You know, where you'd usually get dusting along the side of a fuselage or in the cracks and crevices of, of an AFE, you just smooth it out with a you know a nice misty layer of MLT and it smooths right down and then you just pop your paint over the top and if you need to do it again that was like a revelation recently <laughs> I mean I, I like using different types of paint that's why I don't tend to pigeonhole you know I've got some of the third gen AK acrylics that I'm going to be using with my I'm doing a Ketten crowd at the moment the Tamiya one so I'm going to be using those for some parts of that I think mainly the figures I didn't get on very well with the AK original acrylics or the MIG acrylics, the water-based ones. I found they were really weak, and over whatever primer I tried, I was probably doing it wrong. <laughs> Whenever it came down to an oil wash or any technical weathering, I'd just end up lifting the paint up. James, we're going to segue into more of you know your modeling influences and your personal style. I know we talked a little bit about it before. But, you know, just want to expand on that. And I'll, I'll start off with a really basic question. You know, if, 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 if someone logs on to your, to your YouTube channel, they'll see you have armor, aircraft, ships, figures. You know, do you have a favorite genre out of those all? Oh, that's, that's a good question. I think at the moment I am leaning more towards armor. <laughs> I like aircraft. Most of my stash is aircraft, but there's something about tanky things with big guns and tracks and oil and... <laughs> soot staining and all those things that you can do on a plane or an aircraft but not as much as you can do on a tank and they're just cool in, in person they're so imposing and huge you don't realize mm. how big they are until you get down to like bovington and and stand yeah. next to a king tiger and you go man that's massive <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i mean even even something like like a sherman tank people don't think they're that big if you see one in person you're like this thing's actually pretty damn big it's so tall it's, it's yeah. mad 
it's 12, 13 feet tall. It's huge. Yeah. You know, it's massive machine. And just think of, you know, a, a column of them. It's, yeah, I, I, you hit it all the right spots. That's why I like armor. I'm biased though. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing I'm quite a big fan of is more quirky subjects. That's yeah. why I tend to, I've been leaning in the past and in my stash definitely more towards the first world war mm-hmm. because the designs and how archaic they are and how yeah, you think did that how did that thing fly and or mm-hmm. people drove around in one of those <laughs> 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 you know loads of bolts and rivets and it's almost got a, a steampunk aesthetic but whilst being true to history and they're just really cool yeah especially the the you know the armored cars that are coming out these days by what is it copper state models mini art they've been putting out a bunch too the Romfell you built specifically, James. I mean, that thing is just so cool. It is. It's, it is a 1915 Batmobile. It's- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we went down to Scale Model World, Scale Model World Telford and we passed the Copper State stand. And I said to my partner, Sophie, I was like, that thing looks really cool. And she's like, oh, let me buy it for you. Let me buy it for you. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's all right. Um, I'll, I'll buy it. So she bought it for me. <laughs> And it was it was amazing. It, it's such a nice kit, and Copper State are improving so much as well. Yeah, their molding and just detail that they cram in it is really really good, and they're really nice kits. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to have the time to build more more of them. But you know how these things go. I've got to balance balance the First World War stuff with things that might do better on the channel as well. I've got to take yeah. these things into consideration. Um, and then you know now and again I'll put a vote on Patreon and see you know what do you guys want to see me do if if mm-hmm. I've got a gap where I don't have to build something that's set. And you've got to really work around work around that sort of thing, which it sort yeah. of feels, that takes a little bit of the fun out of it sometimes, mm-hmm. but then you might end up building something that might have been on the pile, at the bottom of the pile, and you wouldn't have thought of doing. Mm-hmm. And then it gets voted for, and you're like, guess I'm building that. And then, <laughs> <laughs> but it's great because then you've moved something from the stash into the workbench, which is a massive achievement to start with. Mm-hmm. And then you're building something that you might not have thought about doing. And then you've got yeah. a, do you research and come up with a, a paint scheme that isn't too bland and go from there and run with it. So we've talked about all the historical subjects. Do you see sci-fi in your future at all? I have got on my in my stash a ATST. Okay. By Bandai, of course. It's in the list of things to do. And I'm looking forward to it. When I was um in my first proper band, the lead singer was a huge Star Wars fan. And he had this um Millennium Falcon kit and I built that for him and it was um it must have been 172 or I don't know did did AMT do a large ish Millennium yes, Falcon? They did. Horrible kit. <laughs> they did. <laughs> Back then I wasn't uh, au fait with um nice modern molding and anything. So it, it I remember it being a bit of a bear to put together, but that was that was really cool because I tried to match up with this was way before airbrushes mm-hmm. came into the picture. I tried to match up the battle damage and and the right shades of red and and the right pale grey, like insignia white sort of colour. And that was a really, really fun build. I, I gotta admit, I haven't been so much into Star Wars now as I was when I was younger. Mm-hmm. I watched the the prequel tri- trilogy and uh, I got a bit disappointed. Uh, I, I've got nostalgia of watching, you know, four, five and six on a on a VHS on a tiny screen. And yeah. and it that was just absolutely mind blowing. But I've heard good things about the Mandalorian. And I know I must so I must watch it at some point. It's really good. If you love the originals like we all do, you'll really like it because it has that feel of the of four, five, and six. Okay. 
Yeah, and since you have an ATST, you should watch it because there's one in there and it has this unique paint scheme and kind of some custom stuff to it where it takes that, you know, gray vehicle and really transforms it into something. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Anything anything non-standard I like. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. There's a, a friend of mine, uh, Sarah, from a channel called Staples and Vine, and she is 3D printing a 134. I don't think 135 quite fit in a printer. A 134 scale Slave 1 at the moment. Oh, nice. Which is huge. Yeah. And that's just going to look so impressive when it's done. I mean, she usually does like a, a diecast stuff, but occasionally does these 3D printed projects that just like, mm-hmm. whoa, I'm really looking forward to seeing that to come together. And we go to the same local club. So to see that in person, I'm, it's just going to be, when it's done, I'll be like, whoa. <laughs> nice. That's going to... And from a painting and weathering perspective, that's the best vehicle in that universe. It's so hard to do. TJ did a great model of it. I I did one that's just so much chipping and distressing on that vehicle. It's great. Yeah, and the nice thing about the the sci-fi stuff is you can go to town. You're not Mm -hmm. constrained by having to match something up to a photo or, Mm -hmm. you know, having to be more potentially restrained. I I don't know, because I do try and try and go buy photos if I'm weathering. Sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes you don't get a picture of what you want. And you've got to freestyle it a bit, but you've got that the freedom to, I mean, unless you're doing like a studio model, then you're pretty set. But <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I was thinking of um, picking up some machining Krieger at some point, once I've cleared out yeah. some of the stash, like the Falker just looks really cool. So many things you can do with it and so many interesting paint schemes. And like I said, all that weathering, juicy weathering. Machining Krieger is awesome. That's probably one of my favorite things to model, just because you can literally do whatever you want and it doesn't matter. I mean, you can do that on anything, really, but you can do it extra with Machine and Grigger. So, James, I'm going to switch gears a little bit and kind of hit on what we've talked about a little bit before, but maybe take it a step, you know, outside of just social media and talk about, you know, modeling inspiration in general. You talked about starting, well, you know, 10, 15 years ago with World War II Model Maker. You know, thinking back then and up till now, you know, who 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 could you cite as maybe a major influence in scale modeling for you? Although I'm probably a bit young, um, I saw Villinden's work as very very impressive. I mean, he, he was a, a groundbreaker. You know, he's the the European Shet painter, I guess. And although I don't subscribe to many of the techniques now, mm-hmm. at the time they were really good to look at. And then Mig came on the scene. And that was that was just a game changer. The way the Spanish style crept into everybody else's style and, and sort of just changed the way everybody looked at weathering. I don't know if it started with him, but that, that's when I started seeing it and the use of the pigments and all these crazy techniques to make everything look worn out and actually look worn out and not just dry brushed. That that mm-hmm. was, I mean, there's, there's a place for dry brushing, but it's, it's evolved so much mm-hmm. with all those techniques. And then... Yeah, your hairspray chipping started coming along. I, th- I think MIG was probably the turning point where I saw those models and thought, I want to do that. Yeah, no doubt. I know that had the same effect. I mean, we're very similar in age. So, you know, early 2000s, there was that, you know, that, that time in the hobby where, you know, maybe the Sheps and the, and the Verlindens were, I wouldn't say on their way out, but there was a new, you know, a new scene coming into play. And I think MIG's influence there, the Spanish school is definitely in that regard. It did tremendous, tremendous things to the hobby. I mean, Mig and Adam Wilder and moving up to today with the, the heavy hitters like um, Mike Rinaldi and, and Night Shift and 
you know the really technical technical guys people like uh, with jc chung's studios with his um space vessel i don't know what it is I, i've got <laughs> i don't know what it is but it looks amazing <laughs> yeah he's a madman we hope to have him on soon like you said there's just all these people that are you know coming out of the woodwork now on social media maybe going off of this into kind of inspiration continuing along this theme one of the styles that you've started to employ in a lot of your vehicles and the one that i really loved during your t34 was color modulation maybe where do you, where do you draw inspiration from that and why do you love it so much modulation i i, I sort of try a hybrid black basing color modulation thing i'm i'm sort of working with at the moment so so you don't get the the very fine graduations of modulation but it's more natural and um more motley <laughs> mm-hmm. that came from mig in some of his early magazine articles and articles on the internet and it was around that time where modulation started coming to the forefront i, I think um in the you know late uh, mid late 2000s that style while stylized just makes things look really awesome yeah. <laughs> that's that's why i do it <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i don't tend to go too heavy with it i mean i i'm going to at some point because there's no point in doing the same thing over and over again mm-hmm. but uh, there's um one build i've got at some point where i'm gonna really really push the contrast like mm-hmm. like mega and see where that takes me but the, the the lighting thing and playing with the lighting and the shadows is it's something that fascinates me a little bit and something I try and reinforce with oil paints later on, but trying to get the legwork done with the airbrush is, is pretty fun. Uh, but trying to keep it organic and modulated, I find quite tricky. Trying to combine those two techniques is something I'm really working on and I really want to perfect. And I'm yeah. really aiming for that in the future. <laughs> well, you're on your way. I mean, the dirt, I really love the T34 right before the whitewash. Uh, what you did with that, that was that was ace. I just I just thought it was perfect. Thank you. It was um that that kit was a a bit of a bear when it came to the turret armor. Oh man! So you know, one of the questions I'd like to ask too, James. You know, in your videos, you use a diversity of paint. You bounce between you know water based acrylics and lacquers. When you set off on a project, what kind of influences you to use a certain type of paint? A lot of it boils down to the color. If I don't like a green I've got in lacquer, I will have. To, I'm I'm very competent with color mixing but it's so much easier to use something straight out of the bottle. And if I've yeah. got that color to hand, I will use it. With the with the Messerschmitt, I didn't have the RLM colors in anything else. So I went mm-hmm. with the Mission models, which I'm used to. And, I, and, you know, I'm pretty proficient with them. So I will bounce based on color. With the Copper State stuff, we had to do a bit of, um, we had to do some color experimenting to match the, the shades, of which there's very little research. Mm-hmm. So I found myself buying paints and paints and paints of a certain FS color just to try and get the right one because you've got to get that bob on. And that was one of the briefs because I, I did some of the pre-production, well, pre-release kits for, for Copper State and we had to work really hard to get those colors absolutely exact. And I found myself bouncing, bouncing between like Vallejo, AK Real Color, <laughs> you know, Mission Models, anything, Tamiya, anything I could get my hands on to try and get the right color without too much faffing about. I mean, I love I love paint. I mean, in my in my day job, I I work in an art shop, and I have got access to you know, oil paints, watercolors, acrylics, all the the arty stuff. When I was painting, I learned a lot about color theory, but not just color theory. I also learned about mixing colors together and how the pigments interact with each other, uh, and that works 
that skill transferred really well over to modeling. It's like your calorifery is really important. You, you only need a, a basic grasp of it to really improve your color mixing. So like you've got your, your warm yellows and your, your cool yellows, you know, you've got your warm and your cool colors. And if you mix a warm and a cool color together in a mix, then you get a muddy color. And there was just so much to learn with the, the technicalities of the paint. And I just got so absorbed. Um, I even started making some of my own oil paints for a little while using um, medieval recipes, which is really nerdy. <laughs> <laughs> I've got this um, this Italian handbook from the 15th century. Um, that's obviously, this, I wish I had the original. That would be amazing. But um, obviously reprint in English. And it gives you recipes on how to make certain greens and how to distill your own ultramarine, um, traditional ultramarine, and how to bake your own like burnt umber and burnt sienna and that sort of thing so i went foraging around for minerals and i went digging in my local there's like a local stream nearby that's beauty spot and there's some clay down there so i dug out the clay and filtered it out and made my own raw sienna and burnt sienna out of this clay and milled it with um linseed oil and that was that was really cool (laughs) but but, but also that there were less cool and more crazy things like um distilling your own paint from copper using acetic acid which is pretty nasty and making my own lead white and things i think i accidentally gave myself lead poisoning one day because i was feeling pretty fruity <laughs> after a session in my dad's shed where i'd been mixing up this this um this lead into white paint and trying to i've got this old ex-army issue gas mask that i was wearing at the time um oh but there must have been something on my hands or something but i, I felt so ill that afternoon <laughs> but a bit of a tinkerer is what i've what i've been with um with paints and colors and i just love it it's the technical aspect that i i really enjoy i don't paint pictures anymore because they weren't amazing i moved on to models and transferred some of the knowledge over and it, i think it was really set me off a little bit to be honest no this is that's that's great and maybe leads right into my next question you know we as modelers have a you know toolbox of techniques where do you think your your strongest technique resides what do you think you're really good at i am very very self-critical so i will look at something and go that's crap yeah even if it is really good and i know it some for somebody is something inside me is going that's crap that is Mm -hmm. (laughs) you need to do better tj read that book (laughs) (laughs) i wrote that book yeah tj wrote that book (laughs) i I think i've got all the volumes We discussed, you know, you just told us about your middle medieval concoctions and mixing, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, things yeah. in a shed and walking out with a gas mask on and your neighbor's probably like, what is he doing? I I like to think that I'm pretty competent with the airbrush. No, I would agree, though. I mean, if you look at your T-34 and the way you painted it, I've, I've watched that video probably 10 times. And the then madness. your new ME 109. Yeah, well, I, it's it's inspiring. and. Specifically, your new 109, the, the camouflage scheme and the mottling on it, um, it's so tight. So, I, I mean, I'll, I'm just going to echo your comment there and support it where I, I do think you have a lot of control over the airbrush. And I was even watching your Wagon video and you're painting the inner hub without the mask on and the control you have over, again, not only where the paint goes, but how much of the paint is coming out. So, Yeah, the light to dark fade on the sides of the Panzer Gray. Yeah, I'm going to go plus one on your good with an airbrush. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, um, it's, it really was just lots, lots of practice. Um, to start with, like I said earlier on, I did a lot of research before I actually started airbrushing. Mm-hmm. 
something about using such a fine precision tool to make tiny precise lines just really appeals to me well the, the fine work it is tricky to get right but once you get there it becomes a game changer you know that's what i recently went down to a 0.15 needle nozzle combo i think i was doing just as well with the 0.2 but i get a little bit more finesse but a lot of the problems that i have is with paints i mean like i love mrp but their red brown splatters like nobody's business and i'm so meticulous i mean my airbrush is usually superficially dirty but the internals are usually pretty pretty on the ball there's certain colors that just don't translate well to spraying like red brown specifically i have a, a bit of trouble with it tends to be i don't know if you guys can suggest one that doesn't splatter I, i'd be um i'd be much i'd be greatly appreciative if you knew of one it's it's funny you mention that. I have struggled with some browns from the water-based acrylic lines. It's always the chocolate brown or red brown. Mm. I, I, maybe it's something to do with that pigment. But I would say, you know, red brown. My go-to is always Tamiya. I feel, and if I if I need to tweak it, I'll add a little blue to it, or you know, maybe another color just to change change the hue. Because uh, Tamiya, it's like shake and bake. Can't go wrong. I still have to pick some up. I mean, I, I'm not averse to using. Tamiya paints, I've got a fair few of them, but it's one I haven't got. And it's always that red-brown that is a big pain in the ass. Yeah, seriously. I know. I'm, I'm totally tracking. You know, maybe going off this then, where do you see, if you had to look into your toolbox, what is a technique that you'd love to improve or potentially try out on a future project? I would love to improve my hairspray chipping, 100%. It is one of those dark arts of modeling that either <laughs> you know exactly how to do it from the start, or you don't, and you're constantly trying and trying and trying. And I know using lacquers doesn't help, but it is definitely doable, as, as Will Pattinson shows us. You, you know, he, he does some great stuff with hairspray and lacquers. It, it's one of those things. It doesn't work very well with mission models, but I find it works well for a um, a worn paint finish with MMP. But for, for lacquers, you can get those really tiny chips, and I just want to be able to control that better. I'd love to be able to pull that off well without any steps in the paint if I put a layer down just a little bit too thickly, without massive flakes coming off. And it's just experimenting and experimenting until you know what to do. Yeah, you know, I'm just going to give a personal story, and it kind of just hit me this last two or three weeks when Martin, night shift, there we go, put the nickel in the bucket. <laughs> and an angel just got its wings. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? You know, I have struggled with that too as well, James, specifically – you know, those subtle chips, because if you put too much paint on to get that opacity and you try to chip it, it's going to come off in a sheet. One of the things I saw Martin do on his T55 that it was like a eureka moment was he gave a very cloudy coat of white over the rust and then put his color on top. And the way he talked about it, it built up the opacity without building up the thickness of paint um, because you're starting with a lighter base coat as opposed to that dark rust and building up. And what he was able to achieve was kind of mind-blowing and and it's certainly on the table for my t34 that's sitting over there that needs painted so you know maybe that's a technique that you can try out too yeah i, I saw that and and it is something on the list of things to try yeah <laughs> definitely um there's so many little hacks you can do just to mm -hmm. just to work around problems and it's great that we're discovering it because people are playing around with things more and experimenting and, and finding these little little hacks that just make things so much easier and i'm forever grateful for the for the guys who just spend all that time trying to work it out you know <laughs> while we're talking about chipping do you ever use um besides the hairspray method do you ever use like the sponge technique or paint your chips on or are you pretty much a hairspray guy i use 
both of those techniques, usually if I'm not trying and really trying to do hairspray chipping, I will start with a lightened version of the base coat with a sponge. I've got these um, filter sponges. Um, I think they're like a qu- mini aquarium filter sponges, and they're a bit harder than a regular one, and they give you really fine chips. So what I've been doing is chipping the first layer of a lighting color with the sponge and then infilling with the brush um, with a darker color. I used to do all of it by hand with a brush, but it just ended up being so time consuming. You know, I, I, I needed to streamline the process because like in a night shift video where he spent what, 60 hours chipping a model, I haven't got the patience for that. I've got a bit of a, <laughs> yeah, I, I struggle with focus quite a lot and I'm zipping and zipping. It's, it's amazing that I only ever have one build on the bench at a time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and not like 80 of them here or putting a bit on a different one but chipping like that was so time consuming that i decided to move to the sponge method and although you don't get the control with the the lighter coat i think it, it's a good compromise because it's not dark chips you're doing a light coat that doesn't matter too much it's superficial scratches infill with a darker one and you're golden i mean i i, I used to I used to do it a lot more with a brush than i do now i try and do it with an airbrush if i can because it saves time a lot of time. <laughs> no, that's good. So, you know what? I'll wrap up my segment with one last question. You know, you have pushed a lot of work out through YouTube. Are there any plans in the future, maybe through traditional mediums such as magazines or books? I've done the magazine avenue and I'm not ruling that out again in the future. A book would be really cool. I, 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 I do like books. I'm a very, very big bookworm. So that would be, that would be really awesome. The logistics of it, maybe at the minute not, but something to aim for for the future that would be definitely a a goal that i'd love to set myself (laughs) well great thanks for that you know now i'll just kick it back over to tj uh, to wrap up the final segment so we're going to do kind of like a like a little bit of a round robin type segment so we're just going to go through and ask you about one of your builds that we particularly enjoy i'm going to start you've already mentioned it before world war one i am also a huge fan of world war one armor that's where i started building armor was World War One, and particularly my first tank was a Whippet, and you have a Whippet on your channel, which I think is the first video of yours that I watched. Tell me a little bit about that build. So it was the Whippet was my first move into First World War armor. I think what drew me to it was seeing Little Willie at Bovington, you know, the forerunner to the Whippet with a similar suspension and that sort of thing. And I hadn't built a main kit before, so I thought I'm going to try this company out and see how it goes. So I did. I went and bought one and started clipping it together and you know filming at the same time. And I was like, this looks really cool. It's easy to build. And that was a big selling point for me because I like modern modern kits. I'm an assembler. <laughs> <laughs> and proud of it. Nothing wrong with that. No, ease, ease is, is best. The Whipper I built up with some layers of modulation and put loads of oil paints on it. I mean, it's literally smothered in oil paints. So I built the modulation up with lovely greens, like, you know, dark woody olive greens to really bright, almost acid green on, on, on this modulation. And of course, when you start putting the weather on it, it toned it all down. And it, I was really proud of how that came out. But the thing I was most proud about the Whippet was the tracks. Um, I, I've, I've always struggled with making tracks look good, no matter how many tutorials I watch how much I read, how many videos I watch. They just always come out looking a bit, uh. <laughs> Yeah, I know that. I know that exact feeling. Yeah, give me some wheels. I'll be all right then. <laughs> <laughs> but what I did with the tracks with just uh, a few oil washes and, you know, a graphite stick just came out really well. And I was like, 
All right. And I haven't been able to replicate tracks that, that well since. <laughs> it was one of those, <laughs> that went well. And then I just completely forgot how to do it. You know, sometimes you get the knack for something and it works great. And then you just you try it again. And you're like, nope, that didn't work. But the tracks on that were probably the favorite bit because they looked industrial. They look heavy and oh, grease and grime and all the lovely things on, on a tank. <laughs> it, was a, it was a good introduction to First World War modeling. To be honest, I don't know if I did the the Wing at Wings kit before that. I, I've built built two of those so far. Um, I don't know if they were before or after. But for armor, just just the look of it is just boxy and beastly and archaic and mechanical. You know, yeah. love it. Have you built the Tacom version or just the Meng version? Just the Meng. Just the Meng at the minute. I've heard good things about the Tacom one. It's really good. That's the one I built. I have the Meng version, but I haven't built it yet. Maybe one day. That's the story of my stash. Maybe one day. <laughs> I think that's the story of everybody's stash. Yeah. I'm trying to be really good. I haven't bought any kits for a little while. I'm really trying to not buy kits. So I've got money for other things. <laughs> you know, once I whittle down some of that, then I might get a few more. But for now, I've got to use what I got. You know, economize. I don't want to be stuck with 800 kits that I'm never going to build. I really want to really want to whittle that down and you know work with a smaller stash i think that also gives you more freedom to pick what's coming next because you don't feel as guilty perhaps than if you you bought something but you're like oh i've got that to build and then you've got that little tiny niggle of guilt that you 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 think well i should have built something from the stash but i've got a new (laughs) kit and i want to build that instead (laughs) (laughs) i have the same problem with paint so i have this wall of mrp tamiya goons and ak real colors have just hundreds and hundreds of bottles. But every time I do a build, I go to the hobby store and buy new paint. <laughs> I can relate to that very very much. <laughs> so the the disease isn't just kit stashes, no. it's paint too. And tools. Tools can be one as well. Oh, yeah. JB, I see you shaking your head on the tool thing. I have a lot of tools. I have countless racks. Countless, I mean, tool and paint, I, it, it, I just... Just have my credit card and books. I mean, everything with the hobby. (laughs) I don't, and I wish I was good about kits, but I'm looking over there when you said, Oh, I'm trying to be good about kits. I'm like, I just piled up everything I bought in the last month, and it's like a dozen. And I'm just thinking, I only built half of one this month. So I need to get my, (laughs) I need to get get my life together right now. But I don't know. We just, there's so much good stuff out there. And when, you know, websites are running a sale, it's, Oh God! I mean, it's just so hard because I, I don't feel guilty because I'm like, eh, if I sell it again, you know, I'll probably break even and I have it here if I want to build it. So that's completely fair. And it's, it's <laughs> absolutely lethal when you look, go log onto Facebook and, and you see like the Tacoma Cranoplane being announced. Oh. You're like, you're like, that is so weird. I want one, but you're exactly. like, no, but, but I'm being good. It's, it's the, it's the devil and angel on your shoulder, like <laughs> fighting over each other. You must buy it. And it's like, no, don't buy it. Be good. Uh, so far, I'm being good, and fingers crossed I will. <laughs> yeah. Well, for my entry, I am going to talk about your ICM French, the FC, FCM 36 tank you did. I love the finish on that. You did the cover tank with the finish that was partially airbrushed and partially hand-painted. Talk, talk about that one. I love it. That was a really fun build. The FCM 36 is pretty obscure as tanks go, and it was an interesting decision for ICM to release it, but I'm glad they did. I mean, the only time I'd heard of it before was on War Thunder, which I'm quite a guilty player of. (laughs) And the big challenge with that kit was getting 
the smooth green paint finish brushed over the airbrushed base layer. I am terrified of brush painting camouflage on a tank or, or on anything. I know it can be done. I mean, there's there the old technique in the MIG FAQ book where you, you paint the edge and airbrush the inside. I decided to just go full brush and brush that green paint on and try my best not to get any brush strokes in there because acrylics can be really finicky, as, as you well know, when brushing. I used K-Color for that, actually, and they do a range of airbrush-ready paints, and they're really popular in the Far East. Um, I think it's an Italian company. Their color load is really good, and that worked just perfectly for for brushing on. And I mean, it was like the um, a bit like the problem with the paints I've had before. It was the right green. And I didn't want to mix. For painting such a large area, I wanted a green out of the bottle that would work and I wouldn't have to do any messing about. And I can always tone it down afterwards with a filter. But that tank is, is surprisingly small as well. Yeah, I love French armor, but great little, great little build. Yeah, I'd love to expand on that and build some of the um some of the other shars, um, you know, like the Samua or um or even the uh Hotchkish. Yeah, because they are they aren't covered very often by modelers, and that's that's something that draws me to some kits. Everybody. And from a finished perspective, they're amazing. I mean, there's, they're so not like an American or a German or a Russian tank. Yes, exactly. Uh, especially the ones with the, the black outline around the camo, which is always, always a bit tricky to pull off, but <laughs> they just look really cool. And, you know, they might use similar colors to the German tanks, but it's definitely not applied the same way. And they definitely don't look the same. You know, James, I'll wrap up with this segment. It's one of your recent builds that I've enjoyed, and it's one that I'm currently building right now. I'll hold it up. Uh, our listeners can't see, but it's the T34E. One thing is, I just want to say I'm bummed. I The time difference, I was sleeping when your eBay auction ended, so I missed your buying it, um, which I'm a little disappointed in myself still for not going higher on the bid. Anyway, it's a great build. I really liked it. We, you know, we kind of chatted a little bit before about the turret armor, but, you know, from my perspective, maybe... Just give your two cents on the kid and, and that build itself and, and what you loved most about it. What I loved most about that kit was finishing it and <laughs> not having anything to do with it anymore. <laughs> that might be a bit harsh. Uh, I'm, I'm running with the whole I'm an assembler thing again here. <laughs> yeah. You know, basic modeling skills and everything. It wasn't a pleasant experience for me to build that kit. The base kit was okay, but there were some some flaws in it, you know, gaps that shouldn't have had for a, a 2020 tooling or 2021 whenever it came out there were a few fundamental flaws of it and this is without going into accuracy because that's not something i look at a huge deal when i'm buying a kit i'll go for does it look cool is it buildable if it takes those boxes then yeah but being such a new kit it was a bit of a adventure i suppose so that the base kit went together really nicely but when you get to that turret armor and you think whoa what is going on and it was just a massive surprise because i've built a few I built one, one border kit in the past, and that was the Panzer IV. And mm-hmm. that went together quite nicely. And there were some discrepancies in the instructions. Mm-hmm. Like I ended up with like a, a silly amount of cleaning cleaning rods on my on my tank because <laughs> I was just <laughs> following the instructions. So so th- this um this Panzer crew really liked a, a clean barrel. Um <laughs> <laughs> I got that out of the way. The the turret armor was a pain, but I persevered. Um thanks to some encouragement from my patrons, which was much needed at the time where I was edging it from the side of my desk towards the bin and going, am I going to throw it away? Is this going to be the first model I actually throw in the bin? And it wasn't that bad, but at the time, I mean, I constantly suffer from fluxes in Mojo. I'm surprised I get videos out. I'm constantly having to push through and, you know, make the Mojo. 
I push myself through if I'm not feeling it. Because otherwise, I won't get a video out. And I know that's not everything, but I like to do it. It's a personal achievement, and it makes me feel good when, when I get a video out. So that nearly went in the bin, but I, I pulled through. And then I did the some of the color modulation on the on the green, which is always fun and something I need to do more of, even more of. And then decided on, because I like tanks that look a little bit different, I decided on this not totally historic, historically accurate early war crosshatch winter whitewash scheme. Yeah. And I thought this tank would look absolutely boss with that wearing that camera. <laughs> and you were right. Yes. Yeah, it turned out really well. And I was surprised because, you know, sometimes you like to play it safe a little bit. You know, you want to experiment and do the things, all the mm-hmm. cool new things, but you want to come out with something tangible at the end <laughs> without it, you know, being being chucked to the side. So it's a little bit of a risk, but it paid off, especially because I used um, brush-painted lacquer method, which, mm-hmm. you know, I, I took inspiration from, like, Lincoln Wright with his um, hand-applied lacquers on his, his machining Kruger kit. So I thought, I'm going to try that with that to get that distressed finish over the end. I know the initial layers were airbrushed, but on that final layer, I wanted it to look like it had been hand applied to to a certain mm-hmm. degree anyway. And that really worked. And that was a bit of a surprise. And I was really impressed with how that came out. But the journey, I wasn't so impressed with. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was worth it. I can tell you that. I really, I really love that build. I love the video too. I, by the way, I'm still shocked you do this all on your phone. I just want to throw that out there. Again. <laughs> I, that's pure madness. I... I am super impressed. I actually, while we were sitting here, I downloaded the app. I was like, man, I just got to take a look at this because your videos, I, very professional, really good. I really appreciate it. And that's the comment. One of the comments I get the most when I'm, you know, talking to somebody offhand about it, they're like, you do that on your phone. And I'm like, <laughs> half with a bit of, um, half of a bit of smugness. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, I do that on a phone, <laughs> but, but half with a, a sense of disbelief as well, because I'm like, why am I doing this on a phone? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's only so many things you can attach to a phone to make it work better. Yeah. And I'm really running out of options with it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you must have like super soft, controllable hands to just like pinch stuff and move it and the control you have. It makes sense in modeling and how you're pulling off your finishes. And guitar fingers as well. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Dexterity champion. It does sound better than making paint from lead in your garage, though. <laughs> yeah, that's just madness. Maybe that's maybe that's why. Maybe that whole lead paint thing is why I'm doing it on a phone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Scott, you want to bring us home with this segment? Yeah, for sure. Well, James, we've all kind of had the opportunity to take one of your builds and, and videos that we really liked. Give us one of your favorites or or maybe your favorite that you've done and, and tell us, uh, you know, maybe the reason for that. I think, Bill, that I'm most proud of is my Copper State Minerva Armored Car. Now, this is a, a quirky gray, you know, you can tell it's it's 1900s. It's, it's so boxy and it was literally just a car, a, a, a sports car, a Belgian sports car sort of thing that they just put a metal box on top and drove around the battlefield. I was pretty proud of that one just because of the level of finish I achieved on it. You know, it was at a time where I'd started thinking about putting stowage on a build, trying to add more interest as opposed to just doing a model out of the box, which is what I have done in the past. You know, I I wanted to start putting more things on my models to make them more interesting. And because, you know, people do it all the time. And I think I was just being a bit lazy beforehand and thinking, you know, I'll just build a model and that'll be that. But it, it opened up more options and 
it just looked really nice. And I'm, I painted up these little teacups and hung them on the side. With a, and I, I researched French and Belgian teacups from 1915 and chose a few of them and painted these stupid little teacups with, with these designs that I found on the internet. <laughs> it just, I mean, I hung them inside. It wouldn't have worked because they would have broken straight away. But I thought, that's a really cool idea. So I stuck them in there in a little coffee grinder and everything. And it just brought it to life. And just that, the whole feel of that was, was one of the reasons I was, I was really happy with that build. It just had good vibes. And, and at the time, it was, it was all, the work was flowing well. It was one of those builds that was easy. Not in like a technical sense, but uh, it wasn't a struggle. It just it made me feel good. And <laughs> I remember that kit because of that as well. That was my first time decaling on a matte surface as well, which made that more of a challenge because I wanted to eliminate that clear coat as well. I wanted to compress the paint layers a bit more, not lay down so much paint because I found I was losing detail beforehand. So removing paint layers works with me because it's less work as well and less time waiting for things to dry i'm notorious for doing some oil rendering varnishing it after 10 minutes and then moving on to the next layer <laughs> <laughs> sounds like tj yep no time also tj's book chapter two <laughs> oh, i haven't got time for paint to dry i'm just going to go over <laughs> on top you the know burning daylight yeah exactly so current project, I think you mentioned it earlier, but tell us about the Tamiya Kettencrad you're working on. That's a really nice little build. So far, it's gone together really nicely. I love the fact there's a little engine in there. I didn't build the Dragon one. I don't know if that had an engine or not. You can't fault a Tamiya build. They are easy and nice, and they fit together really nicely for the most part. If if I make a uh, if I have a derpy moment and something doesn't fit together, that's that's my fault, 100%. <laughs> and I, I'll own that surprisingly as well their new figures are really good styrene figures are something i've flitted between styrene and resin for a little while and i like resin because you've got details you can paint while on plastic because a lot of times you have to paint the details if you know what i mean but these look really refined and i'm looking forward to slapping some field gray on them and drawing on a little smiley face and having those finished up for the for the video because <laughs> <laughs> they, they just look really nice and it's good to see that they've taken feedback on board from their old... You know what their figures used to be like. They were questionable. You could make them work. You could. But did you want to spend all that time doing it? I, I wouldn't. They, they augment the vehicle as opposed to... I mean, I've done busts in the past, and they are standalone. But 34 figures augment something else. I don't want to have to spend too much time bringing them up to scratch. Yeah, some of them look like they've been carved out of a bar of soap. So... <laughs> These these ones, I was just looking at them. I have them right here because I, I need to build mine. And what I'm amazed with is the pockets on the uh, on the blouse. Really, really crisp. They are really refined and they are sort of... I mean, I know uh, Mini Art Masterbox have been doing very well with figures for a little while, especially mm -hmm. injected molded ones. But these are pretty much... I think they're on par with, with those, if not better, especially with the engineering because it's the only they are the only figures I've seen with locator tabs. Yeah. Like proper locator tabs. They have been engineered as opposed to just masters made cut in half and stuck on a sprue sort of thing. That was the thing that I, apart from fantastic detail, that was the thing I noticed the most. I was like, these are built to go together with minimal effort. And no, you know, I haven't puttied them yet. I mean, there's a small few areas where I've nicked it with a scalpel that I will putty, but they just fit so perfectly. And I was like, good on you. Good on you, yeah. Tamiya, for, for actually taking that step and making good figures. 
this is one thing that some companies don't do, which is a shame, is is listen to feedback. I mean, they, occasionally they do, but most of the time they don't. And and it's it's really important. I think it's an important thing that the companies take the feedback from the general public. I mean, there's enough people on Facebook moaning about it. <laughs> <laughs> there's no lack of that. You don't know when, when, when something's wrong. And I know a lot of that is just people grumbling just for the sake of it. Yeah. But these companies could take away a bit more from average Joe modeler and, and, and run with it. Yep. Agreed. I think there's a couple of companies that are not going to be around anymore. And I think that's one of the primary reasons, you know, you, you've got to do more than just make an interesting subject. You've got to have it be something that people enjoy putting together and not be too, you know, off awful right out of the box. So no, I, I see them have done very, very well for themselves over the last few years. I mean, they started with their, you know, hand-mastered kits, which had exquisite surface detail, but they didn't fit together too good. I mean, I know um, Revel reboxed uh, a Henkel, an early Henkel. Um, it still doesn't fit together great, but their new stuff, it's just, you know, it just clicks together. I mean, of course, there's a little bit of fessling and, and you know, working things out, but that's part of the fun. I know I say I'm assembler, but I do like occasionally a challenge. Yeah, I would agree with that. I built one of their 132nd scale I-16 Ratas. There was some issues with the plastic being a little bit soft, yeah. but as far as the engineering of the kit, it was really uh, pretty good. You know, not not to Mia, but certainly uh, much improved over a kit they may, would have made 10 years ago. Yeah, and no, that's really encouraging to see. You've got companies really trying, there's some that aren't, but there's some that are, that are really trying to... Um, you know, take it by the nose and, and improve, which is really good. And that's one of my modeling mantras. I'm all about self-improvement and it doesn't happen all the time, but it's always in the works. And I'm always trying to push a little, get a little bit better every time if I can. And that's the fun with exploring different techniques and, you know, trying different things and just trying to absorb as much as you can to try and get that onto an end product and get it looking good. So any plans for the next up after the Kettencrad or anything you want to talk about? Up next... I am pretty sure will be a Wingnut Wings Halberstadt CL2. So I'm going back into the First World War. I'm absolutely terrified because I haven't done any rigging on a biplane before, only the only monoplanes. I've done two Fokker Eindeckers that needed rigging, and that's it. So working out that upper lower wing rigging join and things is just going to be a bit of a challenge. But I'm also quite looking forward to, looking forward to it as well because... You know, it's a, a new adventure. <laughs> we shall see. So I've got memories of being a kid and buying these Airfix biplanes and you try to put the top wing on the bottom one and it just like falls apart and just collapses on itself. And then you've got glue fingerprints everywhere. We've tried to stick it together. And so I'm going in with that prejudice, but I, I don't think I actually need to be that worried. It'll probably be fine. That's what's coming up next. And I'm looking forward to it, especially there's a the paint scheme. There's a like a speckle over the top. So the lozenge colors have been painted. And then over the top, you spray a really low-pressure tan or RLMO2 sort of color over the top. And there's this mottle that you've got to try and lay down. And that looks really daunting. It's going to be fun. <laughs> and it's probably going to be a long project. So I don't know whether I'm going to do that as a part work or save it up for a big build and do some, some small videos in between. I'm not sure yet, but that's in the works. And then there's going to be something panther-based because I recently got some the Meng Jagdpanther G2. Nice. The R-model tracks, because I've been experimenting with a few different brands of, of metal tracks, and I got these R-model ones, and they came with the pins. And that was a game changer. I had one run, because I can't 
help but fiddle with something if it comes through the door. I'm like, oh, let's have a play with that before before it goes in the stash. <laughs> and I put together one of the one of the runs of tracks in about 20 minutes. Oh wow! Yeah, just yeah. push the pins in, and you know, whilst you're listening to something or watching something, push the pins in, and you got a you got a set of tracks, and it's like easy, no drilling anything out. Well, there's a few tiny bits of flash, but I, I was really impressed with those, and I'm looking forward to putting those on the final model. Yeah, that reminds me. Uh, did you ever get those metal tracks for your FCM thirty six? Oh, I haven't yet. The last time, because um, they're quite tricky to get hold of um, in the UK. There's not many people that carry them, and I'm a bit reluctant at the minute to order from Europe after the whole Brexit thing. There's there's one importer who who gets them in, but hasn't had them for a little while. So I, it's just a patience game. It, it is in the works because those plastic those rubber tracks on it really don't do it justice and you're completely right and <laughs> if you keep reminding me that'd be great because i, I need to do it <laughs> <laughs> well that bill definitely deserves some beautiful shoes yes so. yeah <laughs> currently wearing an old pair of tassie slippers with holes in the toes <laughs> yes absolutely not absolutely not well james this has been so much fun now uh, before we wrap things up here Remind everybody uh, where on social media they can find your work and your channels and those kinds of things. Okay, I'm on YouTube. Just search LPJ Models. You'll find me on there. Um, Facebook's the same. Instagram is the same. So anything forward slash LPJ Models. My patron is patreon.com forward slash LPJ Models. If you want to join the Discord, that'd be great. There's a link to that in any of my latest video descriptions because that is fairly new. I want to plug your Patreon. I'm a member of that, and uh, you get a lot of great content, super camera work, early access to stuff, photos. So it's it's great. It's a good value. I appreciate that. It's one of those things that you don't quite know how to approach it until you've started doing it and getting feedback from your members. And, you know, we're building up a nice community, which is which is really nice to see. It's something I never thought I'd, I, I'd see with me entering YouTube is building up, you know, making friends and building up a community and that sort of thing. And it's... I'm quite a, a quiet introvert, as you'd expect a lot of us modelers are. <laughs> it doesn't always come naturally to me, but it's really heartwarming and cool to see people coming along for the ride and, and joining in. Like with the Discord in particular, I'm usually browsing. I'm fairly quiet, but I'm, I'm browsing it most of the time and reading what people have to say. And if anybody's got a question, I'm there. Well, thank you again, uh, James, for, for joining us today. We had a great, great time love to have you back sometime and talk to you again uh, best of luck with lpj models and continued success thank you very much guys um i've loved the podcast since i discovered it a few months ago in lockdown i was looking for something to watch or listen to and modeling podcast came to the forefront i'd never listened to a podcast before i stumbled on you guys and had to listen to the whole back catalog <laughs> from, from day nice. one and yeah it's it's really cool to be here to be honest i really really appreciate it I never thought I'd be doing something like this when I started my channel a few years ago. <laughs> well, keep up the great work, except for that whole lead paint thing. Keep it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, James, thanks so much for uh, joining us. You know, I've certainly been inspired by your work. Uh, your videos are always on the top of my list to watch when they come out. So keep up the great work and we look forward to the next one. Thank you very much. Very much appreciated. Yep. Thanks for uh, swinging by. And I'm here if you want me again. Sweet. Awesome. We'll take you up on it. I hope you guys enjoyed that. James is really terrific. And it, man, it was a lot of fun speaking with him. 
I still, though, guys, I cannot believe that he makes those high-quality videos over at LPJ Models on his phone. Yeah, that's insane. I had no idea. When he when he said it, I kind of was in shock. I had to pause, and then I think I revisited it and asked him. Because, <laughs> I, 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 again, I'm perplexed. I, I am in... You know, I was impressed with his videos before. His quality and the way he talks about it, you know, he's very humble. But his work is super professional. And to hear about it on a phone, he's like, yeah, I'll get a laptop and, you know, I'll make it professional. It's like, whoa, whoa, time out, man. <laughs> like, geez, like, I, you're going to be Spielberg once, you know, you're done for crying out loud. But no, I, I admire him, you know, exponentially more now. Uh, he's just super, super great guy. And, and again, phone is next level. Well, that kind of goes back to, you know, you saying there's there's no wrong way to do the hobby. You know, James wanted to make great videos and his video work, I mean, make no mistake, if you guys haven't watched it out there, he does really great videos. I mean, the editing is good. The video work is good. The narration and the voiceover is good. I mean, this is he he does really great work and he didn't have a computer. So he did it on his phone and then he went out in the stream and got moss and made his own paint. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, he's just, he's, he's, he's a modeler's modeler. Anyway, it was a blast talking with him. And if you guys haven't seen his channel, YouTube LPJ models, go check it out. Yeah. You know, also we can't forget, he almost turned into what the mad hatter from lead poisoning for crying out loud. <laughs> <laughs> he was a good guy. That, that was a good interview. I really enjoyed talking to James. All right. Well, that's about it for episode 24. Thanks so much for listening. And just a reminder that you can leave us feedback about this or any of other of our episodes over at the Plastic Posse Facebook page, or you can email us at plasticpossepodcast at gmail.com. We want to thank our Posse supporters. And we also want to give them another shout out to our two sponsors, Tankcraft. It just looks better on your bench. And Sean's Custom Model Tools, makers of the awesome Super Sanding Blocks. And just a reminder, everyone, there is no wrong way to enjoy our, enjoy your hobby. Keep those uh, benches busy, your airbrushes move in paint, and most of all, have fun. And one more reminder about our Tank Craft contest. If you want to win one of the awesome Tank Craft mats for your bench, send us a photo of your workbench and a brief statement about why you need to upgrade your bench with a beautiful Tank Craft mat. We will review all the entries and announce the lucky winner on episode 25 when we return in two weeks. Thanks as always for joining us for episode 24 and remember to get to your workbench and enjoy your hobby. Guys, it's been really fun. See y'all in two weeks. Yeehaw! <laughs> yeah. Nice. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs>
You guys did sit through the see the uh, oh. after credit scene, right? Of course. Oh yeah, Richard E. Grant. How awesome was that? I like the little alligator or whatever the crocodile. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what's up with that. That I don't remember that from anything. And yeah, some of the all the videos I've watched, they're like, yeah, we can't find anything with this. Someone brought up the oh crap, I don't remember which which universe it is, but it's the it's the the funny animal universe where Spider Pig mm-hmm. comes from. But he's not a crocodile in that universe. He's a dog. Oh. So they're like, it's not that. And plus, it wasn't a funny animal. It was like a legit alligator or a crocodile or whatever it was. Just so I'm following, Spider Pig is actually a dog, not an alligator? No, 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 no. no. So <laughs> there's, a, there's an alligator in the end credit scene of the fourth episode. Did you see, did you see Into the Spider-Verse, the cartoon? So there's Spider Pig is in there. So they're talking about that universe. Yeah. So in the more in the main Marvel continuity, like in the comic books, you know, it's separated into the different universes or whatever. I don't can't remember what they call it. I guess it is universes. Yeah. Like, like parallel the, the, universes. Yeah. So like the yeah. main Marvel continuity, I think is six one six. So that's like universe six one six. That's where all the original Spider-Man, all that stuff. That's where they live. And then the, the other, where the other stories take place, it's all part of the big multiverse, right? So even the MCU is its own multiverse within Marvel Comics. And Spider-Pig comes from a universe where everyone is funny animals instead of people. All the heroes, they all have a funny animal version. So obviously it's, you know, Spider-Pig or whatever he is, Spider-Ham, whatever. And uh, yeah, so he's a pig, you know, Peter Porker is a pig in that universe. And like the other characters are whatever. I don't even know what they all are. Mm. Talk about nerds, man. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm not with that. I, I just thought the alligator was the, uh, was the alligator that took, uh, that took Chubbs's hand in happy Gilmore. <laughs> <laughs> but R- Richard E. Grant's costume was like chef guess. That was so perfect. I love the fact that they're doing the, <laughs> they're finding ways to like shoehorn in the old ridiculous costumes like they've been doing it a lot lately. You know, they did it in WandaVision. Mm-hmm. They did they even did it. I don't know if you watched the Luke Cage show, the Netflix show. They did mm-hmm. it in Luke Cage. We had an episode where he's talking about how he got his powers. He um was experimented on, you know, and he like broke out of the facility and, and found he was like only in underwear and he found a yellow shirt and bell bottoms. And then he had like the the chains on his arms, which Luke Cage wears in the comic books. That's exactly what it looked like. He had the little like metal like forehead thing, and and, and he's like, "Man, I looked I looked ridiculous." I'm like, "Well, obviously." They did that in one division on the Halloween yes. costumes. Oh, just God. like just look just like comic book costumes. It was the best. Oh, it was the best. So I love Scarlet Witch, and <laughs> and seeing Elizabeth Olsen as comic book Scarlet Witch was just oh God, it was so good. And Vision was great too. That green and yellow, <laughs> ugly ass costume. That was great. I, I, I watched WandaVision and I liked the Scarlet Witch too. I liked it. I, I liked the show okay. I wish the the progression of the show would have been a little more linear and not so circular, but I liked it okay. You're you do your miss out on Loki. It's so good. Yeah. Loki's no, something I'll, I'll else entirely. The best yeah. of them. Best yeah. of yes. all of them. So and far. I thought and I thought uh Falcon Show and WandaVision were both really good. I enjoyed Every week, every episode, there wasn't an episode where I was like, yeah, that sucked. I liked every single episode, but this by far is just so good. It's Tom Hiddleston, level. 
Are we talking like as good as when you first see Ahsoka or or Boba Fett in The Mandalorian good? I think so. Yes. I think so. Well, see, I, I got to caveat that because I don't really care about Ahsoka because I never watched anything she was in. I appreciate the character and I think she's cool, but seeing her in live action isn't like, you know, uh, she was oh my God, like that's, oh, I remember her from Clone Wars. I never watched Clone Wars. I was just aware of the character. And I like Rosario. I like Rosario Dawson. So I'm like, oh, okay, I can get behind this. So yeah, I'm down with the Ahsoka thing, and I thought she was fantastic, and and I was so excited to see her. But I'd actually put Loki a little higher than that. Like what they've done with the show, Episode Three. Like I told my daughter after we finished, I said that went kind of nowhere. But I am so I'm so intrigued now. Like nothing really progressed in the storyline except now I'm like, what is going on? And I love it. It's not a confusion. It's like I want to know more. I want to keep it coming. And then Episode Four just blew my. We'll see. Yeah, like Episode Three feels like that, and then the, the start of Episode Four is there, and you know, Sylvie and Loki are like getting close and you know, they're like, Oh, there's a, there's like a serious Nexus event. And then you're like, Oh, that Nexus event is Loki not being alone. Like that's pretty much the, the, the theory people are operating on. Like that's how he's, he's messing up the timeline so bad because he's realizing he doesn't have to be a douche. And like, there is someone for him because you know, they like when they break it down with like, when Lady Sif is like, yeah, you're just always going to be alone. And then when you like look at his story arc throughout the movie, it's like, yeah, he always is alone. He has no friends. No one really likes him. Even when he becomes good, everyone still treats him like Loki because he deserves it. And it's like, oh, like this Loki is realizing, like, oh, yeah, I don't have to be like that. He is my favorite MCU character by far. Oh, he's, he's then you have to Tom watch Hiddleston this show. Is amazing. Absolutely mm-hmm. have to watch yeah. this then. And Tom, is it Tom Hiddleston or Huddleston? Yeah. Hiddleston. He's, he's, he's a great actor. Yeah. He's really brought a life to that part. I mean, it's just really, really good.